Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 89 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Joining me today is my regular co-host, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you today, sir? Oh, hey, hey, hey. I'm doing okay here on the uh, very first day of uh, the XFL version two. That's right. The XFL is back. I have it on in the background. LA leading Houston 8-6 to six so far. If you're yeah, curious oh, yeah. on the big Fox game. Well, I so. take it that somebody uh, strategized how to do their extra point. Uh, yeah, Houston went for one and failed, and L.A. went for two from the five-yard line and made it. Well, all right, then. There you yeah. have it. Apparently, there's a three-point conversion, too. Ooh. I- I'm assuming that's from the ten-yard line. I haven't seen one tried yet, but... I think it fun. should involve the kicker running in the, running into the end zone. There you go. Yes. The kicker should have to be part of the player. He should be the quarterback or the receiver or the running back. Fair enough. Before we get into today's stuff, Steve, I want to... Kind of throw out some future stuff for the show here. Uh, actually, later on in this show, uh, Ian Hamilton from Back Body Drop is going to join me. We're going to review New Japan Pro Wrestling New Beginning in Osaka. And uh, next Sunday, uh, Kevin uh, Pantoja is going to join me again, and we're going to break down NXT TakeOver Portland. And closing out the month on the last day, Mark Radulich, former 411 MMA writer and podcaster, is going to join me to review the latest Saudi Mania show and the AEW Revolution pay-per-view to close out the month. Mark is very big on those Saudi Arabian shows. I think it's because they usually feature MMA heavyweights and boxing heavyweights and just people he likes that are big, pretty much. They could They're be. big in size. So He's a size guy. That's right. A body guy, I guess you could call him. There you go. Yeah, But yeah, Mark, Mark will be joining me at the end of the month, like I said, Kevin next week, and uh, Ian later in this show, so got some guests spread out throughout the month, we'll have a good time, and um, Steve and I have a couple things to discuss today. We are going to look back on some TNA like we did last time, and uh, we'll get into that a little later, but right now, Steve, we're going to talk about possible changes to the WWE Network, and we talked heavily about the... WWE managerial crisis heading into the fourth quarter uh, financials call, the dismissal of Barrios and Wilson. And we were wondering what may be behind that. What were the big impasses? And coming out of this conference call, the big takeaway for me were that, first of all, Barrios and Wilson were the driving forces behind starting the WWE network and really getting it launched. And it feels like coming out of this call and by everything Vince said, and we're going to get into more details, was that the future of the network really seems to me to be where this whole split came from. And basically, the feeling I have coming out of all this is Vince has had second thoughts on the network since the subscribers have stagnated. Uh, Just over 1.42 million uh, subscribers. They haven't hit that 2 million mark and stayed there like they had hoped. So that seems to be the early thing, Steve. What are you thinking about the network, first of all, never really hitting that 2 million mark and staying there? Uh, Well, it's, you know, you had such a good selling point in 9.99, but then you had the even better selling point of, you know, uh, New subscribers get the first month free, and new subscribers get this month free and that month free. And it seems like I think there are a lot of people out there that 
have access to WWE Network, they're not subscribers. Uh, doesn't that kind of seem like a thing, Larry? Uh, from everything I see online, yes. Yes. <laughs> Which, I mean, they're not the only people who have this problem, but um, I don't know. I mean, other streaming services do fine. I mean, Netflix probably has a ton of that, and they don't seem to have any problems. And Disney Plus has a lot of people piggybacking, and I don't see any problems with that either. So, the whole, you know, I'm, I'm a big network guy. I, I've had a network the whole time. You know how I love watching my old primetime wrestling shows or how I just love watching the old school stuff in general. But it kind of gets, it kind of got to the point where they stopped adding stuff for a very long time, and um, I think another thing that didn't quite help them as much as they had hoped was uh, the fact of the matter of the, the current product. Um, you know, they thought, probably thought that those pay-per-views slash network events would be a bigger draw than they have been, and to be honest, outside of outside of WrestleMania and maybe throw Royal Rumble on that, and maybe SummerSlam if you want. Most of these events just aren't holding up there into the bargain. I mean, who's gonna, are, are you gonna are you gonna subscribe to network just to watch uh, bragging rights or stomping grounds or you know the all those shows they produce that nobody seems to care about that all seem like glorified episodes of Raw slash SmackDown and also a lot of which last like eight hours for the past year or so. Yeah, I think that is an extremely fair point. I think the fact that the the main product hasn't been really hot hasn't been really good. I think the other thing is that, you know, we're looking at a landscape that has more streaming services now than ever. And it's a very much a pick or choose market. I mean, obviously you have your Netflix, you have your Hulu, you have your Disney plus. And then like, if you're getting Disney plus, a lot of people are doing the bundle deal. Cause it's only 13 bucks and you're getting Disney plus ESPN plus and Hulu. Mm-hmm. But you have all these streaming services out there. You have the Zone, ESP, ESPN Plus, like I said, Amazon Prime, the Peacock's going to be starting, CBS All Access. You have all these things. I find that if I'm looking at it honestly, I mean, obviously I'm a huge wrestling guy, but the WWE Network feels extremely expendable for the fact that it's a very niche thing because all you're getting is wrestling. You're getting WWE branded wrestling. It's not even like they're showing the WWE studio films on the WWE network. It's not like you can get, not that anybody would want it, but I'm just throwing out as far as content. It's not even like you're getting the past XFL games for the first season. So, I mean, all you're getting is WWE branded wrestling. And if you're a family and you're investing in multiple streaming products, obviously the first things you're going to hit up for your family are things like Disney plus and Netflix and then if you're a combat sports fan, maybe you're getting that Disney Plus ESPN or Disney, uh, the, the Disney ESPN Plus and Hulu package and uh, maybe DAZN. So you're going to be picking and choosing. And I think when it comes to that, the WWE Network kind of gets really low on that list. And I feel like we're getting to the point with all these streaming services where people are going to start missing cable. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because everybody's buying all these streaming services that are nine ninety nine or ten ninety nine, twelve ninety nine, whatever it is. This stuff starts to add up. Yeah, I mean honestly, and everybody, oh, it's going to be so much better we can, when we can just get a bunch of streaming stuff and it won't be as expensive. And I mean, again, depending on it, because obviously you have to have an internet service to get this stuff. That's so. True. So you have to have a good internet service, and then you know what are you going to have between five and ten streaming services? 
I mean, and, and like you said, it, it does. It adds up over time. Now, obviously, if you're like, like I said, that uh, the Disney package is a really strong package because you get that ESPN Plus and Hulu, and you can watch a lot of stuff on that. Obviously, a lot of people are going to keep like a Netflix because. Again, if you're buying for a family, there's tons of family entertainment stuff on there. There's something for everybody. So that's the original too. The you know the original one of these things is always the original of anything always kind of has a pull on the marketplace. Yeah, Netflix was kind of the first one that got hot. Yeah. So I think one of the big things is going into this and looking at everything from the call. It really feels like Vince regrets taking the big pay-per-views off of pay-per-view because they are now devalued and it's not like you can, like, I'm sure you could pop WrestleMania off the network and still do some solid buys with WrestleMania because it's WrestleMania, but I don't think you'd be as lucky with the Rumble, SummerSlam, and a couple other shows. No, because no, I, I think mean, that they've been devalued because now everybody looks at them like they're only worth ten bucks. And the other thing is, is I've talked about this all the time. Like the go home show is like a myth in WWE now it because really it's is. like uh, the, they they do nothing to make these pay per views feel important. And I think honestly, it has led to a lot of complacency in the uh, booking of the the TV product because well, we got the network. And let's be honest, the only the only event they even try to build up anymore, I mean, as far as go home shows and it it's WrestleMania. WrestleMania is the big stadium show. It it has that's what the one that all the old guys come back for, all the part timers. And I think this generation of fans and even us to an extent have been we've been brought up to kind of realize now that as far as WWE goes, it only really matters when the part timers are there. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's how they book the product. That's how they make it feel. So they haven't made the money on the network as they had hoped, and this is due to not hitting that 2 million average subs per year. And again, I think the company now feels that they've devalued their own pay-per-views, and they want to make more money, obviously, Steve. And, you know, who can blame them? Everybody wants to make, want more, to make money. more money. That's right. That's right. And Vince, during the call has teased transformational changes to the WWE Network. And this is all coming out of the fact that they have seen the huge TV rights they got for the next five years. And he knows that for whatever reason, despite the fact that the product isn't hot, and despite the fact that the product isn't exactly great, they're still making a shit ton of money. And they're going to be extremely profitable for the next five years with... Almost no effort put into it. It's amazing. I mean, you gotta figure some of these Fox executives watching these episodes of SmackDown. You, you gotta be like, you know, stuff with the dog, with the dog food and all, all, this, all this nonsense have been perpetrating on the audience past past few weeks. You gotta be thinking, we spent a billion dollars on this. Uh, you would think that there are some <laughs> second thoughts there, man. <laughs> oh gosh, I, that just seems crazy to me, but. At the same time, when you look at it that way, like the networks are willing to fork away, fork over that amount of money for a product that isn't the best that's been ever, you can see why events might think, okay, let's see how much some streaming service or somebody's going to give up for my pay-per-views. Why not put them on the market and see what see what you can get? I don't blame for that. And that's the thing. He sees those huge rights the TV got. 
He talks about being a content provider and selling for high fees. And the other thing is, I think he looks at specifically the deal that UFC got from ESPN. Yeah. To where ESPN bought the pay-per-view rights. And they're basically paying the UFC what they would make in a high year when Ronda and Connor were both fighting multiple times. So uh, apparently everybody's happy with it too. Like, yeah, I think ESPN's getting what they want out of it too. Well, ESPN's thrilled now because the Connor fight just did a million. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is too, is the thing with the ESPN deal is not only did they pay the UFC for the rights and that they grew the streaming service exponentially, but the other thing is when you have, when you get an ESPN, uh, UFC pay-per-view on ESPN plus, it's not just that it's included on ESPN plus, you still have to pay the 60 bucks. Right. But that's like the only way to get the pay-per-views. And on a lower end, Bellator got huge money from zone, And they're making more money now than ever and putting most of their shows, their big shows on zone, And that's included in the subscription fee. Could you imagine that Bellator heavyweight division was in its prime? <laughs> if you had like Fedor in his prime, you know, all, all those guys that like to bring in their way past their prime. Oh, that'd be a good, that'd be good stuff. Exactly. I mean, it's it's funny, but so I think he looks around and he sees all that and the feeling I'm getting from the conference call. And again, I'm using the feeling I'm getting because there's nothing out there right now for sure. So it's a giant speculation phase right now is for me, it feels like that Vince is looking to take the WWE network and change it to UFC fight pass and hope for a ESPN UFC model in 2020 which they said could be announced in the first quarter. And for those of you that don't understand quite what I'm explaining, UFC Fight Pass had would hold all the extra events that used to be like on Fox Sports and stuff like that. They would have all these extra events, plus they had a bunch of shows from other smaller MMA promotions. And then the pay-per-views would pop on a couple weeks or a month later. And then they got the big ESPN deal to where they got the huge flat fee. So all the uh, pay-per-view is through ESPN Plus now. UFC is making gigantic money. So what it looks like to me and the feeling I'm getting is that if Vince can sell the big pay-per-view rights, probably for your big four pay-per-views specifically, Rumble, WrestleMania, Survivor Series, maybe um, SummerSlam, those would be the four I would guess. And maybe a couple others like Money in the Bank or something like that. What it feels like is that they're going to go to a fight pass model to where those big pay-per-views, at the very least, are going to be on another streaming service. And they're going to get a huge rights fee for it. While the WWE Network is going to remain the old vault and have all the old stuff in it. It may hold some B pay-per-views and takeovers. And that we may finally see the long-rumored appearances of things like Evolve and Progress and ICW and anything else that they could lock into. You know what? I mean, from from my network viewing habits, that would be a win for me. That would be a win because I don't... I mean, I, I barely watch most of the, most of the pay-per-views these days, as it were, because uh, most of them just don't interest me. I watch the, I watch the Rumble, you know. I watch kind of the bigger ones, but you know, stomping ground stuff like that doesn't really matter to me. I don't think I watched TLC or Hell in the Cell or you know whatever that stuff was. 
if they want to add on, you know, progress or evolve or whatever and keep it same price and keep the takeovers on there, pretty important to me. I like it. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing, though. I'm going to be interested to see how many people like that because if you move the other big stuff to another streaming service that people will have to invest in, it'll be interesting to see how many people remain with the WWE Network as it is at a, let's be honest, it would be a lesser value for a lot of people. And now, again, yeah. there's going to be people like you, Steve, that oh, and I know a lot of people that all they watch on the network are old shit old pay-per-views they love when there's uploads of like primetime wrestling or whatever from the olden days in mid-south and stuff like that and they love all that stuff and they may be interested by a progress or an evolve and then but outside of the old stuff i know a lot of people that all they watch is like takeover yeah because takeover is fun and takeover is always great and then they get their wrestling fix on the old stuff that they miss so i'll be interested to see how that impacts the subscriber numbers, what price point they keep. I mean, are they going to keep the nine ninety nine and then move the pay-per-views off? What exactly is going to happen? What the structure is going to be? It's all very interesting. And again, it feels like that this whole shift in the possible future of the network is what led to Barrios and Wilson being dismissed. Cause apparently this is a very big Vince thing and they were very steadfast on trying to grow the network as it was. A lot of money involved there. A lot of money involved, and uh, I, I know Wall Street does not like it when big, uh, big-time executives are let go. Ram no. without explanation. That's not that's not a Wall Street. Uh, that's not what they like. Not what they like to hear. But uh, and you know they're also worried about this whole XFL business. Let's be honest. Even though allegedly it's a separate company, yeah, not really. It's it's still events and. Uh, People worried about Vince being uh, occupied by that instead of his pro wrestling. But uh, I don't know. I think uh, I feel a little bit better about it going forward than I did uh, a few days ago. I did like when they asked Vince about, like, if they had a succession play. And he's like, you know, we're searching for the right exceptional person. He's like, but uh, we have a great team around and I have big shoulders. That's right. And he like literally when he's I died. Uh-huh. I'm like, geez. The, the the other line that I died that was great when he was talking about it, I was like he was talking about like it, it's an exceptional opportunity to work for the WWE. Who wouldn't want to work for WWE? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, a lot of people do uh, when you want to give them a big big money contract for doing very little work. Absolutely. The other good one is when they were asked about AEW, and he's like. He talked about, oh, he's like, yeah, we're we're in competition on Wednesday nights. He's like, but uh, yeah. we don't need to go to those extremes that they do. We're a very family-oriented PG product, and NXT is competing with them and doing very well. Well, uh, they're do- they're doing what they're doing their job. They're taking some viewers off AEW, and that's all they really wanted out of that. So, I I don't fault them for. I I don't think that sounds too ridiculous because. I don't know. If, I don't think he really expected them to be being AEW in the ratings. Maybe did, maybe didn't. But I think they're doing their job of taking up viewers off of AEW, so that way AEW's not getting more viewers than Raw or SmackDown. Yeah, but they didn't stop AEW from getting a new long-term TV deal for good money. No, they didn't do that. That's true. That's and that's I, a fair I, point. I think part of it, if I'm Vince, I look at that partly as a failure because he wanted to crush them within that first six months to a year. 
yeah, that's that's a fair point, but uh, I don't know. I and I think the other point was that some people were making that uh, I guess AEW has done nothing to affect uh, WWE's product. Which I mean, if you watch Raw and SmackDown, it doesn't seem like they're too worried about the competition. Well, I mean, when you're making two billion dollars <laughs> over the next five years on TV deals, you really don't have to worry. Darn right. <laughs> so, but as far as the network changes, Steve. Um, I guess we need to look at potential suitors going forward. And um, obviously, I think if Fox wanted to start up something, they would be in the mix because they already have a relationship. Yeah. You have HBO Max. You have CBS All Access. You have uh, Disney slash ESPN Plus. Amazon Prime is always looking for stuff. Also rumored to be meeting with MLW, by the way, about a potential deal. There you go. Netflix, you would have to think, just because they're the kind of grandfather of everything. I would not rule out DAZN, because I believe DAZN is WWE's Japanese uh, online partner. and uh, they, they have a lot of stuff in Canada. Like yeah. They have a lot of content up, up north of the border. Yeah, so DAZN, obviously, combat sports oriented. There's been rumors that they've been looking into getting into wrestling. And then finally, what I think is the lead player because of Big WWE ally Bonnie Hammer's involvement is uh, obviously NBC's Peacock Network, which is going to debut in April. Yeah, you can never rule out an NBC Universal property as far as these uh, negotiations things go. And definitely uh, Peacock could use something like that. I know we're all excited about the Save by the Bell um, uh, reboot or the revival or whatever they're doing with that. I thought 999 was a little too much for the Save by the Bell. But, I mean, if you start putting WrestleMania on there, you might swipe not gonna lie. There you go. So, and I think also the Bonnie Hammer thing because she was obviously huge with getting, securing WWE on USA for years. Was always a big supporter of the product. She helped yeah. get uh, Sci-Fi and uh, ECW on Sci-Fi and stuff like that. So she's been a big WWE supporter. She sees the value in it. I would not be surprised if the Peacock Network is the end destination. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean. You look at it, it's it's very interesting. I don't blame them for trying it at all. Because, I mean, again, you're trying to make the most money possible, like with those TV deals. And uh, how many times has Vince said, you know, we're in the content uh, providing business. We create content. Darn right. And they, from, they're making money off it. Nobody they're making argue. money. From my personal perspective, I'd prefer uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix. Just from a personal perspective, you know, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm, you know, those are ones I have myself. So I would agree with that. Actually, <laughs> I have both of those as well. Would uh, not argue with them popping up on there. But I think it's a very interesting time. And again, I feels like that is what led to the split. So because uh, a lot of the other stuff we thought maybe down way more wasn't down as much, like the network and stuff like that. Network did drop ten percent, but it wasn't like it dropped to under a million or anything. Yeah, and um, so but again, it's a just a really interesting time, and it's a really interesting move for them to make. But I mean, and I'm not gonna. There's a lot of people that want to shit on it right away, but again, I think they're shitting on it because I have the network. I don't want to pay any more money for it. But if you're looking, and I I understand that. I don't want to pay a lot yeah, more money. Yeah, sure, either. makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, if you're a business and you're the WWE and you're trying to make more money, I mean, I get it. 
I, it makes the most sense. Again, he looks at ESPN and what ESPN and the UFC did. He looks at the zone throwing out money. And then he, he realizes that, you know, we have this track record now because we got these big TV deals. And it feels like people are willing to pay for the product. Yeah, I, I don't blame him for trying to make the move. Now, and here's the thing. Like, if they don't get a great deal, they're not going to take it. You know, because people are like, well, what if it's a shitty deal? Well, I don't think they're nah. going to take a shitty deal because Vince nah. doesn't want to alienate the people he has left buying the network. Yeah, not unless he's getting a bucket full of money. <laughs> yeah. If they're backing up the fucking Brinks truck like Fox did, yeah, he'll make the move. Yeah. So, but, um, I mean, if you had to guess, Steve, I'm leaning Peacock right now. If I had I'm to guess. I'm going Amazon Prime. Okay. I'm going to Amazon Prime because they are talking to MLW. Yeah. <laughs> You know, anytime a wrestling company talks to somebody, I think Vince wants to shut it down. So I'm thinking Amazon Prime. And I even saw some speculation online from one of those, from one of those uh, economic dirt sheets that they were speculating that Amazon might even buy WWE one of these days. Yeah, I saw that too. And you know what? There's, what there's yeah. always speculation because Vince, <laughs> Vince has said over the past couple of years that if the right deal came along... Yeah. That nothing's out of the question. Amazon's got the money. There's no doubt about that. Oh, shit. He has fucking money in his couch, probably, brother. I mean, shit. Yeah, enough money in his couch by WWE and Vince's whole family. No doubt. That's right. <laughs> so Okay, so you're going you're to pick Amazon Prime. I don't think that's a bad pick at all. It'll be interesting. So, Steve, last week we um we talked some old, old school TNA and our time covering TNA. Talked about the upcoming, um, there's you know the uh, one night only basically deal over yeah. Mania weekend. Gave some yeah. picks about some things we might like to see on that show, and uh, we had some people that really enjoyed the old school TNA talk since we used to cover it so much. It's fun, and they asked for a little more, and uh, I got a couple ideas from the people, and um, I thought what we might do is something that is kind of. Kind of fitting in with the times, since we have a little Wednesday night war going on. You know, there was a point where TNA was making a push, and for they were, for the longest time, the number two company in the United States. Yep. They were a distant number two, but they were number two nonetheless. Still number two by Cracky. Exactly. So, and there was speculation for the longest time, and I remember you and I would debate this from time to time, Yeah. If TNA actually kind of manned up and decided they were going to go to Monday night and compete with Raw, could they, you know, theoretically get bigger viewership because there would be interest like there was during the original Monday Night Wars? And, you know, we always talked about that. We theorized it. And in January of 2010, Steve, TNA went to Monday nights. They went live. Hulk Hogan came into the company. <laughs> Eric Bischoff was with yeah. him. And, and all their rowdy friends. That's right. And there were two two schools of thought here. There was one school of thought people were excited because we're going to get the second coming of the Monday Night War. That's right. And, you know, that was an exciting time for a lot of people. And they were like, maybe we'll get it again. And then there was another group of people that were like, we might get that, but we're fucking getting Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff again. Yeah, yeah, kind of the kind of the problem there. I remember kind of being—I was pretty skeptical about it because, uh, like you said, Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff again. But at the same time, 
I've been, you know, I've been writing about wrestling for several years at that point, and to be honest, I was getting kind of bored with the whole, you know, WWE being the dominant uh, gorilla whole thing they had going on. I was hoping for something a little bit different to kind of shake things up, just to kind of make things more interesting for me. It's all about me, man. You know that. And, and you know what, though? I, I completely agree with you, Steve, and I, I've talked numerous times about how the launch of TNA honestly helped me stay a wrestling fan because I was, I, I, I was hating shit for a long time. I, I hated that WCW died. ECW was gone. It was just WWE. You mean Katie Vick and HLA didn't do it for you? No, it did not, Steve. And I just, <laughs> so, you know, I started investing in the weekly TNA pay-per-views and I, I found a lot of enjoyment out of a lot of that stuff. I, I found a lot of new people I really liked. And, you know, we talked like AJ Styles, Lowkey, Christopher Daniels, guys like that. Uh, you know, America's Most Wanted early on, eventually Team Canada. And those early days of TNA also led me to checking out Ring of Honor and PWG. And that was a time to where I just started picking up more things to watch as much as I could. Kind of slept on as a fun era, I would say. Yeah. So, I mean, again, TNA, I give a lot of credit to for helping, you know, kind of save my fandom in a lot of ways. So, I went into this, I was, I wouldn't say optimistic, but I was hopeful. Hopeful that it would cause something really great. And, you know, obviously the TNA roster had a ton of talent. We'll talk about some of them as we're going to go back and do a retro review of TNA Impact from January 4th. 2010, the big Monday night debut. Yeah. And again, a time to where we were hoping for a lot of good things. Did we get them? We will tell everybody at the end. Yes, we will. We had Bubba the fucking love sponge outside interviewing TNA fans to kick off the show, which was already a bad omen because it was Bubba the love sponge. And I don't see how anybody ever thought that dude was any good at his job. Boy, and that Bubba and Hug and Hulk connection didn't go away, did it? We heard more and more about that. We heard a lot more about that further down the road than we wanted to. I was going to say, more than anybody ever wanted to, brother. Oh, man. I just know. I just remember Bubba out there talking about hot 21-year-olds. So that's uh, okay. All right. And they're all talking about how they wanted to see they wanted to see the old school blood and violence. And, you know, they want all the old school stuff. That's Hulk right. Hogan, brother. So the show started off. With the Steel Asylum match. Now, for those of you that don't know about this, the Steel Asylum match was a giant cage that surrounded the ring. It had a rounded top, and the goal of the match was to escape the cage through climbing through the little hole in the top. This was an X Division special match, and this match involved a ton of talent, Steve. A lot of good talent. We had Homicide, obviously, like the... Kind of looked at as the godfather of the uh, the New York indie scene. He we, made New York. Yes. Eddie Kingston will tell you. Uh, we had uh, Kiyoshi, who uh, for a brief time played uh, Suicide. Jay Lethal, obviously a great talent, long-running ROH champion. Consequences Creed, who you guys now know as Apollo um, Xavier. Sorry, Xavier. Xavier Woods, Woods. yes, Thank sir. Thank you. I was uh, looking at fucking Twitter for a minute and got distracted. But, uh, but he was he was really great in TNA. Alex Shelley, which Steve and I have sang his praises tons of times. Uh, Chris Saban, X-Division standout. Guns, yes. And again, we've talked about, Alex, you have a wacky X-Division match that you need to deliver. You throw the machine guns in there. 
Jay Lethal is black machismo at this point, by the way. Yes. And then we or had uh, Suicide in there. Uh, would he have been, uh, was this when Suicide was, uh, gosh, Kazarian or Daniels? It was Kazarian, I think. I think it was Kazarian. And then we had the Amazing Red. Who Current, uh, early the two thousand yeah, at that two, point. Early 2000 indie standout, uh, a guy that a lot of people thought and hoped would be the next Rey Mysterio, got slowed by injuries and bad booking. Um, Just but, a fun guy, though. Yes, but has made a comeback as of late and is doing was doing good things in 2019, so... Anyway, this is Escape Through the Cage. It's a, you know, it's 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 cage match, so you, you're thinking anything goes for the most part. <laughs> and in theory, this is a great way to open the show because you're introducing fans to a new gimmick. You're introducing them to a ton of talent. Except that this fails when you go three minutes and do a no contest because Homicide breaks out of a ton and beats the shit out of everybody. Not to mention that the cage was red and you couldn't see through anything through it. That did not help. You really couldn't see most of the action. The fans couldn't see a damn thing. I mean, we had a camera where we could, we could see a little bit what was going on. But, uh, yeah, this is it's a it's an eight-man match that goes four minutes and 30 seconds, according to uh, Pro Wrestling Fandom here, which uh, that sounds longer. That sounds longer than it, it felt like. But, yeah, just a mess. Anytime a steel cage match ends with a you know, no contest do the homicide beating people up is with a baton is pretty ridiculous. And then like homicide tries to climb out of the cage and Oh gosh, yes. Homicide tries to climb out of the cage and fails miserably, so they all have to they all have to wake up and start doing shit again. <laughs> so it, it's it's a giant fucking disaster and that leads to Jeff Hardy fresh off of his WWE departure while they were hyping a Jeff Hardy DVD by the way. Coming out through the crowd, brawling with Homicide, and standing tall. All of your X-Division guys don't mean shit because Jeff Hardy's here. Homicide taking nice steel chair shots ahead, by the way, because I, I remember I pointed that out because uh, somebody, one I think it's a hot 21-year-old, that wanted to see steel chair shots ahead. So there you have it. There you go. Yeah. So, so um, the ladies like those stiff chair shots. In, right. in theory... It was a good way to start things. In execution, it failed abysmally. Miserably. Just uh, yeah, a complete and utter mess. Just just not, not good. They informed us that Hulk Hogan was on the way, and you'd think that since the dude's running the show, he probably should be there already. Yeah, seriously. That's, kinda, that's a little silly. A little silly. Get a Kevin Nash promo where he basically talks about Hulk Hogan mentoring him and smartening up, him up to the business and... I thought Shawn Michaels did that. Yeah. Just a, a very insider NWO Kevin Nash promo. Christy Hemi was feeling it, though. Yeah, well, there you go. One of the few bright spots in the early portion of the show. Christy Hemi. Yeah. Absolutely. Had the Knockouts Championship on the line, Steve. Champion Tara defending against ODB. Yeah. Again, we're throwing a title match on early on. I, I don't, you know, don't think that's a bad I- idea. Uh, people knew Tara from her time in WWE. You're introducing ODB theoretically to a new audience. You do the title change to, to ODB in three minutes and thirty seconds, where they cut away from the pin because apparently Tara's ass crack was showing. There's some blurage going on on the old uh, <laughs> on the video I saw, but uh, which probably would have been the highlight of the match. Let's be honest, it was it was a match that was just kind of there, unfortunately. It was a bad match, Steve. It was fucking horrible. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't great. 
I mean, <laughs> not part, a great showcase for anybody involved. Again, part of it was that they only got three and a half minutes, and you don't got a lot of time, obviously. But it was not good. Bad I times, just, and yeah. I have no idea. Was uh, and was ODB the Bayface? Was Terra the Bayface? Didn't matter, really. Probably not. I think. I think ODB was supposed to be the Bayface here. And she used Terra's tights to win, which is what good Bayfaces always do with uh, Vince Russo booking. Dude, she's one dirty bitch. What do you expect? Fair. She's Although that makes, her... me, uh, that makes me realize we probably shouldn't eat out of her food truck. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably a bad idea. So uh, Ric Flair arrived. We forgot to mention the tarantula, by the way. There was a tarantula sighting. Because yeah. Terra had a tarantula. That's right. And she did a tarantula during the match. There you have it. That's right. But yeah, I had to Rick, cut off nigga Ric Flair because that's more important. That's right. Ric Flair <laughs> arrived, and then uh, Mick Foley was apparently not allowed in the building. He tried to get in, but he backed down. And... Well, apparently the thing leading into the, I guess leading into this, Mick Foley had become the executive shareholder. Yeah. Like, he, uh, he say, I guess he bought the most TNA stock, which... Uh, well, I don't know why, what McFoley is thinking on that in that regard, but uh, there's a reason there's, he went back to WWE. Exactly. Yeah, he had some financial problems he ran into buying stock in this company. But I mean, and prior to this, we had a whole run where McFoley actually won the TNA Championship and tried to have matches. Uh that's probably a good descriptor. Yeah. Yeah, he tried. Uh, then probably less we say about that, the better. So Bobby Lashley and his wife appeared. The boss, Bobby Lashley. Let's, let's That's be clear. right. Uh, they ran down the wrestling fans as inbred, toothless degenerates. And uh, basically, Bobby Lashley wanted out of TNA so he could go make real money in MMA. So, yes, the big angle here introducing Bobby <laughs> Lashley to this audience was him saying, this company pays worse shit and I don't want to be here anymore. Boy, the fans were really happy to see Bobby, too, until Crystal started talking. Yeah. And Bobby still has his women talking for him, doesn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. He's, he's really progressed. So, in a truly um, Monday Night Wars, Vince Russo-esque moment, the beautiful people were playing strip poker in an angle I don't think went anywhere later in this show. Um, It kind of did, but not really. There was some stuff. They had some other segments. Somebody showed up. And somebody talked to Mick Foley. Well, it kind of led to something, but not really. Really, it didn't lead to anything. It didn't lead to them getting naked. If that's if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Well, there you go. Hulk Hogan <laughs> is still coming to the building at some point. He's still not there. He is a horrible boss. <laughs> Scott Hall and Sean Waltman were trying to get into the building. Apparently, they're not on the list. I don't know about you, Steve. I think they were trying to sell them as some form of outsiders here. Huh. I'm wondering who was on this list. I mean, if Mick Foley's not on the list, if Scott Hall and Sean Wuppen are on the list, who the heck's on the list? The beautiful people are on the list. Well, okay, that's a fair point. I don't blame him for that. So, like, there's, like, a weird scene where, like, someone's leaving in a limo and someone gets into it, but you don't really see who the hell it is. Total fucking Nitro moment. Yeah, it's just kind of a, kind of a mess. And then Hulk Hogan finally arrives. There were several minutes of this uh, Hulk Hogan arriving business, too. They had to show the limo driving. They'd show Tanae and Taz talking, and eventually he arrived. That's right. But, but I'll tell you, my favorite part about Hogan just arriving is about he starts talking about how he spent all day backstage talking to the boys in the back. Oh. So, Which means that Hogan was there. He left, and then he came back. 
I was going to say, that's a big backstage area if it took him that long to get to the building. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Did he go out for fucking dinner in the middle of, like, right before the show started? He went back and crushed a case of beers with his buddies in the limo, probably, like he did in his Nitro days. Well, can't say I blame him for that, to be honest with you. So, he came on and gave the big rah-rah speech. TNA has the best wrestlers, brother. We're going to be number one in the world, brother. Yeah. And then we have Waltman and Hall jumping the rail. Did a better job getting in fully did. Yeah. Uh you know, they uh at least they didn't have entrance music like Jeff Hardy. <laughs> no. They uh, now if Scott Hall and Sean Waltman had <laughs> sung their entrance music like Jeff Hardy did, that would have been pretty cool. So Hulk lets him in the ring because they're good brothers and he decides to let Scott Hall talk on the mic. Oh, that's that's a that's always a wonderful yeah. idea. Scott Hall was here for the party and the money brothers like back in the day. He's Hulk, honest. Hulk said, uh, that's not the attitude that they have now and says it's time for him to grow up and do the right thing for the business. Brother. And it's just like, uh, whatever. Nash joins the party, tries to call off his pals and Hulk, Hulk <laughs> says like, we're all here for a change and I'm not playing a role, Brother. Brother. <laughs> I was like, at this point, I have no clue what the fuck they're really talking about. But it, don't worry, because things are about to become crystal clear. Oh, yes, I know. But it's like, it's like we're trying to be inside, and we're trying to let you know that we're not going to do the same shit, but you really know we're going to do the same shit we used to do. <laughs> Which leads to Eric Bischoff coming out. Absolutely. He joins Hulk Hogan in his side. He's like, everyone here has to earn their spot. Nobody's given nothing. Right. This is change. And then Steve Cook. Hang yes. on. <coughs> uh, in a moment of originality, Eric Bischoff rips up the format sheet. It's That's like he's right. Got, We're going off script, Steve. It's like he's goddamn Nancy Pelosi or something. I know. It's like. <laughs> I, I, I. Yeah, it's. Sure. It was like 20 minutes long. It was the biggest waste of time after a slew of backstage nonsense segments that did nothing. And all I could think of was, yep, it's Nitro 2.0 right now. Well, speaking of Nitro 2.0, uh, the, all these old all these old fucks that were in the ring uh, during the segment, they weren't the only uh, the Nitro uh, citizens uh, that were out in the building at that point. I guess, man. I just... Because Larry Zonka, we pan up to the Raptors and we see Sting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fuck. <laughs> I totally left that out of the notes. That's right. Well, it's so unimportant. He did nothing the rest of the show. <laughs> He's just hanging out up there, chilling out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it's not going to be like back in the day, brother. <laughs> oh, okay. Sting kind of gets slept on, I think, for, you know making money for a year and a half while just sitting in the Raptors the whole time. I appreciate that. That's, that's, awesome. that's good working, brother. Damn right it is. <laughs> so, we, we went back and we finally got a match. It was yeah, the knockout tag team championship match. Sarita and Taylor Wilde versus Awesome Kong and Hamada. This was actually a good match. It was like nine and a half minutes. It was a little sloppy. It was alright. Um, yeah. It was better than the, the fucking opener in the women's match that preceded it, that's for sure. So, so far, it's obviously match of the night. Yeah. Um, and they, they switched the titles to uh, Kong. 
and Hamada, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's like okay, that's fine. We have women's tag team wrestling and titles. That's that's cool. Of course, um, we know we go right from these women to some other women. Sean Morley, yes, <laughs> arrives and joins the poker game with the beautiful people. Oh boy, when was the last time you had any use for uh, Sean Morley? Uh, I think the only reason I would have use for him now is apparently he runs a weed dispensary. Well, that that, that that's on brand, yes. Well, well, I was well, going to say the last time I had use for Sean Morley was be- before he uh, before the Val Venus character got old, pretty much. Yeah. Because I never had use for Chief Morley or anything else he did after that. So Mick Foley is still trying to get in the building, can't get in. Of course not. The Nasty Boys are trying to get into the building, and apparently they're not letting either. Now, you might have to answer this question for me, because I was not 100% sure, and they weren't identified on camera or anything. Was that Gunnar and Murphy? It might be. I didn't really pay attention to the security guys. Were they in the red shirts? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I didn't. I was trying to remember Gunnar and Murphy, because, of course, Murphy is in the news these days. Because Murphy right. is now one of the Murphy is now one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions. I'm not your buddy, pal. I uh, I mean I get the no, actually I don't get the outrage I don't because we're really attached to Buddy. Well, it's not just that. It's just I'm, I think it's just <laughs> stupid that they're constantly changing and cutting people's names for absolutely no reason. <laughs> you don't think Murphy's gonna get over as a chant like Goldberg did? Murphy's fine. It's just I don't understand. Like, why did they wait this long to change it? Actually, you know what? They should they should shorten up even more and just call him Murph. <laughs> sure. Like he's from Boston, you know. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just it's so stupid. They're always wanting to cut people's names off, and like, and then they randomly give it back. Like Mustafa Ali was Ali for a couple months, then he got Mustafa back. Apollo yeah. Cruz was just Apollo for a while, then he got his last name back. Rusev is still looking for Alexander. Can't find him. Yeah, who knows what Rusev is looking for? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> we went back to the ring, Steve, for some enthralling action. Matt yeah. Morgan and Hernandez versus Raven and Dr. Stevie. 30 With second Daphne. match. Matt Morgan hit the uh, carbon footprint and killed Stevie. You know, Raven and Stevie have definitely been a fine uh, combination back in the ECW days. Sure. I've been fine. Yeah, this is nothing. Uh, the best part is Raven tripping while getting to the ring. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Not his finest night. <laughs> you know what cra- he's, a, he's what, had a lot of rough nights too. What cracks me up is like when I'm watching like reviewing Impact, I, I watch on Twitch most of the time. And they always um inlay um like classic TNA moments in between, right? And they always do like a, a specific throwback clip but like Did they use this? No, no, no. But okay, they use they use something even better. <laughs> Shane Douglas and Raven in the hair match. Oh yeah. Oh, and fucking Raven getting Raven. scalped for five minutes by Jim Mitchell with the sheep shears. Not to mention before I had Shane Douglas throwing up in Raven's mouth. It was really fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Man. They, I don't think they couldn't have paid Raven enough for that night. So backstage, <laughs> the Pope D'Angelo De Niro was going to cut a promo and Orlando Jordan of all fucking people interrupt him. Along with this five-hour energy bottle. And apparently we were supposed to think Orlando Jordan was a big star. But nobody knew really who he was, and Taz was like, hey, that's Orlando Jordan. Yeah. Thanks. 
that led to a, a stellar feud between the, the Pope and Orlando Jordan that uh, uh, sold out arenas across the country. Main event anywhere in the world, brother. That's right. Next up, the Pope was in action, facing off with Desmond Wolf, who is, uh, for many of you that don't may may not know, is uh, Nigel McGuinness, who had a this... really great TNA run until he had to retire. Yeah, I mean, he he was he had a great TNA run there for a few months, and then he kind of fell off the table pretty quickly. This one three minutes, <laughs> yeah. and the Pope won with a fluke roll up. And fans were chanting, this is wrestling during it somehow. I don't know what the hell they were watching. Well, maybe they were. They, just were they're looking at the ring and they saw two guys in it, so they started yelling, this is wrestling. I think they were just excited that they got to see some wrestling. Well, maybe. Yeah, it'd, been, it'd been a few minutes. It was, like I said, it was three minutes. It was what it was. It was kind of sad because... Listen, Pope is a good talker, and like we see it now, he's doing NWA shows. He was a guy that really underachieved in WWE and TNA. Meanwhile, we're going to put him over Desmond Wolf because Desmond Wolf is really good. And this was part of the thing like, Bischoff and Hogan did not like Desmond Wolf. There was <laughs> we that found time, that out later. <laughs> there was that time where he won the uh, fan vote to be the number one contender. Oh, yeah. And then because they were mad, they jawed them out on TV really quick. Yeah. So they could name somebody else the top contender. That's right. Oh, man. That was, that was something else. And I don't even have a problem with the idea of uh, Desmond Wolf putting the Pope over because, I mean, you know, Pope's a charismatic guy. You can get some mileage out of him. And, yeah, sure, put him with a good wrestler that can uh, that can bump for him and whatnot. But, yeah, when you're doing it barely over three minutes in fluke roll-ups, that doesn't get the job done. So we find out that Rhino has been attacked by a mystery man backstage. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping that the format sheet pulled itself together and beat the shit out of him. Well, apparently, I mean, Bubba loves Sponge Ramley showed up, and apparently the machine guns got attacked earlier too, which uh, I don't know if you saw that, but I did not see that when I was going through the show. <laughs> no. Did it happen, or did I just miss that part? I, I, I mean, don't remember it, dude, at all, honestly. I mean, it might have happened. We wouldn't remember it. So Jeff, Jeff Jarrett was like randomly wandering around backstage as well. Yeah, why not? AJ Styles was starting to cut a promo to talk about his pay-per-view match with Kurt Angle, but Eric Bischoff arrived and said, he's defending against Kurt tonight because we ripped up the format, fucker. That's right. I remember the format. I remember kind of vaguely the match listing they had for the show at the, at the top of the show. I remember kind of balking because they had the Steel Cage X Division thing to open the show. And they had also hyped uh, Six Sides of Steel with, uh, I think it's British Invasion and, uh, gosh, who were they? Who was the, was it Beer Money? Yeah, it was Beer Money. I think so. And I was like, and I was, and since I wasn't thinking, I was like, okay, you're going to have a Steel Cage match and a Steel Cage match. That's going to take a long time to set up, you know? I don't know. But hey, it didn't happen, so what the hell? I don't know. So, um,. Let's see. We have uh, Jeff Jarrett making his return. Uh, he starts putting over all the TNA talent and all the homegrown yeah. things. He's talking about how everything can happen. Hulk Hogan obviously interrupts because it's his show now, brother. He starts playing heel right away, pointing out that Jeff Jarrett drove the company into the ground until Dixie Carter saved it. You know what? In Jeff's defense, technically untrue. Health South pulled out, and then Dixie Carter and her parents saved the company. 
just want to defend Jeff slightly. I'm not saying he did a lot of great things, but he didn't run it into the ground. Jeff did a lot of great things. Are you? Are you? Who are you? Doubt the founder of TNA, J E Double F, J O Double R E Double T. So smart. One of the smartest men in wrestling, right there. Yeah. So obviously setting up you know Jarrett and Hogan stuff right away. Yay! Yeah, because that's. Um, I remember the speculation at the time where this whole thing, this the like Jarrett's speech was supposed to be this heel speech, but apparently it didn't work out that way. Well, how is he supposed to be a heel speech when he's putting over the homegrown TNA talents? Apparently he was, well, I guess what they're saying was he's supposed to put himself over a little bit more. Like, it's my, you know, my sort of such thing. It's me, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Uh, That was the speculation, the rumor, if you will. Made to cover up the fact that Hogan just came off like a freaking heel. I guess. Christopher Daniels was going to be interviewed, but he got interrupted, of course. Yeah, how about that? Daniels sighting. Yeah, everybody gets interrupted tonight. Mick Foley d- demands a meeting with Hulk Hogan. Sure. Yeah. Had Abyss versus Samoa Joe. Went four minutes, 52 seconds. Samoa Joe won. They really hyped that up as a dream match on commentary, though. It was a match. It was a match, yes. It was a, you know, with all due respect to Abyss, who did a lot of nice things I liked in TNA, it was a one-star match, and that one star was Samoa Joe. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, I, I I didn't mind the idea of this. Just a nice, clean match to put Joe over. Yeah. This was supposed to be Abyss versus Rhino, but the format got ripped up, and then Rhino got his ass beat. Yeah. So. Sure. And now Crystal was demanding a meeting with Hulk Hogan on behalf of Bobby Lashley, interrupting Eric Bischoff. It's like, why? It's like, is this all we're doing tonight? Pretty much. It feels like there's 137 angles going on at the same time right now. That's what they're doing, pretty much. And uh, for his part, Eric Bischoff was okay with uh, Bobby Lashley chasing his dreams in MMA. Yeah. So we had beer money. We found out they're off the show. Uh, they got laid out by the mystery, uh, the mystery uh, people. Yeah. Man. And uh, Bubba the Love Sponge let the nasty boys in the building. Because Bubba's got all the strict around here. What's the May? We shouldn't be talking about it about a stroke. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. That's probably uh, probably not necessary. Kurt Angle talked about his match with AJ Styles for tonight. He actually got to finish a promo, which was a rarity. Yeah. So good for him. Tell who the star is around here. Jeff Hardy and Shannon Moore got mobbed by girls. It was like four people, but I guess it's a mob. They were as good as they could do. Yeah. Was there ever anything that came of those, uh, those manila envelopes they were carrying? I don't remember, honestly, dude. <laughs> were they possibly the pictures the baby, the baby doll had on Dusty Roads? They could be. Mm, possibly. All right, so it's like the Nasty Boys are in. They start, I guess they were like throwing fucking donuts around or some bullshit. Who the fuck knows? They were in Team 3D's locker room, which I was impressed that Team 3D got their own locker room. Oh, well, I mean, you they know. They even had a freaking picture of Diva on there. <laughs> oh. And it got spray painted because you know how much I love things getting spray painted. That's right. <laughs> so we close things off with the TNA World Champion AJ Styles defending against Kurt Angle, Steve. The only thing worth going out of your way to watch on this show, I will tell you guys. Yeah, pretty much. AJ Styles retained the title in around 22 minutes with the 450. 
And it's like, you know, if there were 137 segments on this show, this was the lone good one. I thought it was a it was a pretty much a really great TV match, honestly. I mean, it's Kurt and AJ. You give them 20 minutes. Unless you do a bunch of stupid fuckery, it's going to be really good. Really Speaking of st- stupid fuckery, yeah. I have a quick question. Sure. Because uh, during the match, we had a masked man come in to attack AJ. And uh, apparently that was something that had been going on for a while. And Kurt Angle took him out just to avoid getting disqualified in his like, nice little sportsmanship moments or whatever. I don't remember the answer to this question. I mean, but uh, what became of that masked man? Honestly, Steve, I don't remember. Was Did that end up being anybody that AJ Styles had a previous history with? Was it, in fact, the Black Scorpion? I'm going to say it was the Black Scorpion just because I don't remember. I, I seriously don't. I probably it's great when you watch these old shows. It's great when you watch these old shows and you just come up on these random angles. You just like, what the hell happened? I have no idea. So, but yeah, I mean, again, pretty great TV match. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, AJ and Kurt, like I said, you give them 20 minutes, and unless there's a bunch of stupid shit going on, it's going to deliver. I really liked it. Again, if you were to go back to the show, yeah, you can watch this. I'd probably skip the rest. And then we closed. With a WCW NWO moment, we had a big giant brawl at the end of the show. Mick Foley gets laid out. Everybody gets their ass beat. <laughs> and um, apparently this was Hulk Hogan's big idea of a fresh start, which was a angle from Nitro in 1996 with about 2% of the star power. Yeah. Well, and we can't forget, though, that we had to make sure that once Angle and Styles' match was over, Hulk Hogan had to walk out onto the entranceway to congratulate them and put them over. Of course, because it's all about me, brother. And then he had to get distracted by something. He had to run backstage to make sure we forgot about Angle and Styles. So we get Mick Foley in the whole business, and uh, that was where he walked in on the strip poker, and nobody was nobody was naked. And, yeah. And Morley kind of sent him down to his uh, to his office with Bischoff and all that nonsense that happened afterwards. Yeah, good times. Oh, so, I know I was excited. Oh boy. So you know you look back on this show, and I I remember I didn't like the show at the time, Steve. I was excited going in because I was really hopeful. I was hoping it would bring some good things. I was hoping that TNA, excuse me, TNA would draw good audiences I was hoping that it could sustain them I was hoping it could lead to a bigger TV rights thing I was hoping that it could lead to them actually making money on the road yeah unfortunately this was a horrendous start to the Hogan Bischoff regime it was a dated show in 2010 it felt about 14 years out of date Yep. It was not good. Again, it's just there's so much it was 137 angles going on, people constantly getting interrupted. One good thing on the whole damn show, which was the main event. <laughs> I'll give I, I'll give the women's tag match a little bit of love. I, it at, was at least oh, one and a okay. half. Yeah. I'll give it credit. I'm being it generous. wasn't <laughs> it wasn't bad like pretty much everything else. Yeah. I would say two. I mean, I'm not saying it was the greatest match of all time but there are two high spots i guess and uh to prove that uh, we're not just kind of talking out of our ass about how bad the show was um the the tna monday night ratings peaked with this by a pretty wide margin and fell off a cliff afterwards yeah but fell i was off a cliff 
I was extremely <laughs> hopeful, Steve. I was, I was really, really hoping it was going to lead to great things. And unfortunately it didn't. And to further the point of how it didn't lead to great things on Mondays, it lasted what? <laughs> eight to 10 weeks, I think. About something like that. Uh, it didn't last long. Um, it got shuffled off. But the worst part of it was that Hogan and Bischoff snake oiled salesmen their way into so much power that they cost the money, the company, millions of fucking dollars. Because <laughs> they, they really were, don't. they pushed the Monday thing. They pushed for more live events in bigger buildings that they couldn't feel, fill that cost too much money. And big contracts for their friends. Yeah. So it um it just it all worked out horribly and like I said I, I remember watching the show at the time I was not a fan of the show at the time oh quick XFL update eighteen seventeen Houston over L A at the half whoa humdinger right now but um yeah I mean it just it led to not good things it just kind of started I was starting to fall off a cliff and. You know, things honestly never got better there, and they they eventually were off spike, had the Destination America era, which that went horribly wrong, and then you had the Pop TV era, and then you had the... What the fuck was that channel they were on? The Pursuit Channel. Yes, the Pursuit... Thank yes. you, God. The Pursuit Channel, which 13 people received, yeah. and they had to put the show on Twitch, which at least people could watch it then. And then, you know, their, their their daddy bought Anthem TV so that they, or uh, Anthem bought Access TV so that they could have, uh, you know, TV. Yeah, Dixie's daddy, Anthem, it's all the same, yeah. So, but Sugar no, dad. it's just, uh, it, it, it honestly was something I was really hoping that was going to work out for something great, and it didn't, like I said, I didn't like this show at the time, but goddamn, going back, it feels <laughs> even worse now. I tell you, it's the third time I've watched this show, and it's gotten worse every single time. Yeah, it and, does not age well. It and ages again, worse. I yeah, think Steve, bad. I think that we're going to agree it's not bad because of the talents that were involved. The show's booking was just utter shit. Gave nobody a chance to shine other than AJ and Angle. Yeah, like everybody getting almost no time. Three minute bullshit. Orlando Jordan popping up. Sean Morley popping up. The Nasty Boys popping up. Hall and Nash and Big Kev all showing yeah. up. And even with the AJ and Angle thing, you still had Hogan coming by to take their heat <laughs> and then kicking some other bullshit with all their old buddies. Oh, it's just... So you didn't get that long to shine. Yeah, so again, like I said, you go back and you look on it. It was, it was a show that I think tried, it, it, it gave people hope going into it. Because I think as wrestling fans, and like you said specifically, you, Steve, you wanted something other than WWE. You wanted competition. You wanted something to thrive. Yeah. And we were excited going in, man. I remember. I was like, this is fucking cool. It's like, and I've said over the, you know, the Monday Night Wars weren't fucking perfect. There was a lot of shit during the Monday Night Wars. But overall, it was an exciting fucking time. Yeah. But I think about three hours into this, we kind of realized, well, that ain't it, Chief. Yeah, and it's because they were booking like a bad 1996 version of WCW in 2010, and they weren't even doing the good WCW stuff. No, no. 
So I no. just it was bad, Steve. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, next time we'll have to watch something a little bit better. Yeah. Or at least something that's bad in a comedic sense. So, but if you guys have any suggestions for something you would like Steve and I to watch, it can be TNA or whatever. Um, you know, if it's on the WWE Network, obviously that's a bonus because yeah. you know we both have that. But uh, hit us up with suggestions; we we will take them and try to fit it in at some point. Because I, I like doing the occasional retro review; I find them to be fun. And even though this one sucked, it was fun to look back <laughs> on the time frame. There is fun things to talk about, that's for sure. So, but that's going to wrap up this portion of the show, Steve. You'll be back Wednesday night with me because we're going to obviously review AEW and NXT, and then we're going to preview the NXT TakeOver show. Yeah, TakeOver Portland. So that'll be a good time, and uh, you guys just hold tight for a few seconds, and I will be back with Ian Hamilton to talk to New Japan Pro Wrestling New Beginning in Osaka 2020. All right, welcome back. Uh, second half of the show. I enjoy. I am joined by the returning Ian Hamilton of BackBodyDrop.com. Ian, how are you, sir? Hey, Larry, not too bad, thanks. Braving Storm Kiara over here in the UK. A uh, lot of heavy winds and rain, but yeah, power stayed on. Managed to see quite a good show from uh, New Japan this morning. Yeah, and we are going to break down the New Japan New, New Beginning in Osaka 2020 show from the sold-out uh, Osaka Joe Hall and... Uh, very happy about that, obviously, for New Japan. They were very thrilled, I'm sure, running the bigger building. So that's always a good always good news to start things off. Yeah, I mean, typically it's the Edgeon Arena they run. Uh, I think that's about 6,000 capacity. They announced, I think, Voice Wrestling quarters 11,400 and change. So getting twice the crowd. I mean, I know we both commented on those road two shows during the week, but Corkin was far from full, but... If you're taking you no know, free tokens with two, three hundred people less a week in exchange for, you know, six thousand to eleven thousand in Osaka, I know what I would take. And I'm sorry, I'd rather sit through you know a less than full token hall if I'm going to get twice as many people up for the big show. But all leads to exactly. And from from what I remember, I think the Sapporo shows did well. I don't believe they were sellouts, but they did well. And yeah, the Corkin shows were a little down this week. And then, uh, but yeah, like you said, it's a good trade off if you're going to almost double your normal Osaka show, so I mean, I, I don't see that as a huge problem. We'll see how the rest of Core Control is later in the month with the Tiger Hattori and Nakanishi retirements and stuff like that. And um, But yeah, it's a, obviously they're running like, what, like eight shows total or something in Corkin this month, or seven? or Yeah, it's about, it's about seven this month, and obviously we've got the run uh, a bit late, you no know, things starting a week on Wednesday, Tiger Hattori's farewell, then two Generic New Japan Rolls Thursday, Friday, then the Nakanishi Retirement Show on the Saturday. So, yeah, by the end of it, that Corkin uh, Hall is going to feel like one of those indie show, indie venues you see WrestleMania weekend, where every bloody shoulder seems to come from. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, you know, other people also run Corkin, so it's just like it's a busy time right now, a loaded month for action. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think overall, um, before we get into this, I think overall the uh, the New Beginning Tour was, uh, I'd call it a success. I think we got a, a lot of great shows. I thought a lot of the Road 2 stuff, I mean, yeah, it's not, like, great. And I know people like to easily hand wave it and run it down. But I do think there was a lot of good stuff on those shows. Like, the six-man trios match was really good. A couple of the elimination matches I really enjoyed. And I thought they, they most importantly, I think they did their job. And then, like, yeah. the, the Sapporo shows before that, though, I really enjoyed because we had a lot of great wrestling on those. I mean, you look, you know, those first Apollo shows you were looking, what, last weekend, after two of them. 
no, so you've no, you've also had this in line with the USA tour, which, you know, depending on the venues, the less said the better. Um, obviously, it was it last weekend in Atlanta? You had the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Titles change hands, which you know we, we can talk about when we get the eight man tag on the show. But there's something about that move doesn't sit well with me. You know, in fact, you, you know, we we we've talked about this before. You know, we built up the World Tag League where me, you, and maybe one other person watched the whole damn thing. You paid off at Wrestle Kingdom, and then barely a month later, eh, we hit the big old reset button. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, new beginning in Osaka 2020. We started off with the Dads and Friends Tag Team Match. Big Nakanishi, Tenzan, Kojima, and Nagata facing off with Makabe, Hanma, Hanare, and Taguchi. Team Nakanishi won 7-20. I thought they had a perfectly little solid opener in Dads match. Uh, nothing to complain about, really. Um, just, I don't know, man. I, I'm still, I still think they're missing a chance on giving Hanar a big win here, man. I, I think it would have been a good time because it's a bigger show and it's obviously all the dads are in there and everybody loves them. Would have been a nice win for him, but, uh, team Nakanishi got the win so he could give a little thank you promo in his last night in Osaka Joe. Yeah, I'm fully expecting that if they do put Hanari over, it will be farewell match. Uh, I mean, as we sit here, you know, the cards of all shows haven't been announced, so, you know, it could be, you know, I don't, we're not going to get a one-on-one match. I would not, I'd be shocked if it was a singles match. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we've said for a while now, uh, Nakanishi, I remember we were talking after Wrestle Kingdom, you know, he looked to be in massive discomfort and then obviously, you know, two, three days later, he announced retirement. Uh, as well as gifts from the call controls during the week where he just looked to be in all sorts of pain just walking and to me that's a worry I mean you know, if he's been like that for a while where he's literally having to cling on to the guardrails just to get to the ring and I mean we've joked you know the last few big shows have been the kind of like the ramp level ramp level st- uh, entryway and you can see in his in his eyes he is absolutely hating that setup but yeah, I mean, it's a match. Yeah, it, it's the usual, you no know, dads and lads stuff. Um, you know, these kind of matches can really toss a coin because, you know, Alpha, Alpha, you know, eight men of the match, it's only going to be Hinari, who's really going to have any kind of long fu- uh, future or push coming out of this. Taguchi, they can, you know, take or leave if you suppose we can talk about it in a second. But yeah, it, you know, it's the usual stuff going for the greatest hits. You know, set in there just over seven minutes wasn't uh, too long to offend or to drag, and yeah, you know, the Nakanishi farewell to farewell to continues. Yeah, and I think that's important too is that it obviously didn't overstay its welcome. And like you said, it, they played the hits, and that's. I mean, honestly, I I don't I don't I don't get when people complain about that because I mean, do you really want to see much more from Tenzon other than like the Mongolian chops and the mountain bomb and the occasional rare moonsault? I mean, you really don't. You, you, I mean, Kojima obviously has a little more go in his game, so I like seeing some Kojima. Same with Nagata. But, I mean, yeah, it's just like, let them do their thing. I mean, Makabe works a match. He doesn't take any bumps. Hanma, I mean, we could get rid of him, honestly. You know, Hinari, I like him a lot. And I like Taguchi for what he does. I mean, he's he's the comic relief, but, I mean, there are times also when he can still go. So it's just, yeah, it's no complaints for me. I mean, you're looking for those three, you know, those eight guys in that match, a combined age of no, no just under 400, you know, 350, 400 years old. What are you expecting when you've got a combined age that high? 
you know, and really the fact that they're able to move, let alone you know, put anything on that's I don't, competence for the wrong word, but you know, watchable. I guess probably the better, better phrase for it. You know, that's going to be success, and obviously, you know, this year does seem to be the year of retirements. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those where I think. It is what it is. If you're spending, you no know, too long breaking down beyond, you no, know, why, you no, know, why did Tenzan get the win? Not uh, so. Why did Kojima get the win? Not Tanari. Then, you no, know, you're perhaps looking for, you know, something to pick that really isn't that wasn't meant to be there. Yeah, I think so. So, like I said, like if I had anything, I would have liked Tanari to win here. But like you said, it might be coming at that last show, and if it does, that's good as long as they follow up and make a big deal out of it. So, we shall see what happens. Had our first title match of the evening. We had several title matches on this show. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions Rapongi 3K showing you. Defending against Suzuki Guns, El Desperado, and Kenamaro. Our champions retained here, Ian, 16-25 via pin. What did you think? Uh, it started a bit slow for me. I mean, they'd done all the stuff on the road shows where it worked over show's knee. Uh, but for me, it just felt like these junior tag titles I'm having a very hard time getting invested in. You know, they've been battered around a lot in the last little while. They're, you know, outside of these teams, there's no really regular challenges. You know, okay, just had uh, Fantasma Nishimori, but even then, it just seems to be a title which has been battered around the same two, three teams for forever. And it's like, for my money, it was a good match. I went three and a half on it. But it's a whole thing of, it just feels like a match where it's Team A V, Team B, adding Team C at the end, and you just keep going around. There doesn't seem to be any kind of challenge for it. You know, we've, you know, we've seen this before with the Never Six Man belts. You know, they're, they're, for some people, there's far too many titles around. And it means you get things like this where your division is just people who loosely team together and then pop up when, hey, we need a title match on the show. Well, here, go pick, pick this lot. I mean, I was looking at the stats beforehand, and... I think they called out as well that the Punky 3K had the belts four times and only one successful defence. Um, which, to me, would suggest that they're nowhere near breaking up, which is sad because I, I really want to see Shaw break out as a singles act. But, yeah, it looks like this is what they're in for. I mean, you know, the match made sense. You know, they kept on the knee from the start. You know, there's a few points I genuinely thought they were going to have Shaw tap. But, yeah, the Punky 3K stand tall and... I guess it's back to the undercard tags for Despian Kanemaru. Yeah, I, I largely agree with you. I liked it a smidge more than you did. I think I went like a fourth of a star higher or something like that. Um, but yeah, you brought up the point about, I mean, Rapongi 3K have been champions four times. They had, before tonight, one successful title defense. So they overcame the odds here and actually retained. I thought it was it was very good match. I thought the story was good coming in. I thought they played off of it well. Like you said, I bought into show a couple times. It almost happened, so I think that's good. But um, yeah, the, the division and we've talked about this a lot, and you know, like sp- speculated on like a, a more open weight tag division. Just a instead of two tag divisions that kind of suck, let's have one that might be actually good. And doesn't seem like they're going that way. But, I mean, at least the match was good. I mean, wasn't highly invested in it, really. Um, I'm glad it wasn't bad or anything, obviously. And then you kind of joked about Team A and Team B and then enter Team C at the end, which led to the post-match where Taguchi arrived, and uh, he wanted to talk with Rocky and told Rocky he's not a manager, he's a great wrestler, and that they should challenge for the tag titles. 
3K kind of begged Rocky not to, but Rocky agreed with Taguchi, wanted the title shot. Yo basically said he felt a little betrayed, but they said that they need to feel like they uh, will surpass Rocky, and they accepted the challenge. Um, the one thing I do like about this is we're not immediately going back to Phantasmo and Ishimori again. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had obviously Taguchi and Rocky Ray were team, you know, team Junbi Junior Tag League. They did fairly well off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it was kind of symptomatic what I've just said. The Junior Tag League, the Junior Tag Division, you know, you, you know, we've just said it's you know, Punky 3K, Despian Kanamaru, uh, Phantasmo and Ishimori. Perfect example here. Taguchi, okay, they were pretty much filler in the Junior Tag League. No, they did well, but in the end, but no, that's what no fact they haven't teamed much since kind of tells you that. Um, be a good match. I mean, to me, I feel like this may be match where they you no know, properly split Rapunky 3K from Rocky and Taguchi. Um, I mean, the fact that Rocky's not been doing much of any commentary for the last little while tells you that he's you know, this may be like a final hurrah in his career. I know, um, Ring of Honor that uh, Ben versus Now show, he's been booked on, I believe. So you can kind of tell that maybe in the background there's been some talk of you know, the, the, what happened to Macho Man back in the day. You know, he doesn't want to be just a commentator. He wants to wrestle. Well, that's what you're getting. You know, it's not going to be Rocky you know, in, the junior tag, in the junior title ranks, but he's going to be in and around. And I think this is just as good a spot as any. I mean, he's, gone, he's had more you know, championship tag partners than I've had hot dinners. So what time's another one going to be? <laughs> Yeah, and that's a fair point. I like Rocky a lot, and like I agree. I think it's a good place for him. And you know, obviously, he worked the U.S. shows, and so he he did a lot of wrestling on there and everything. And I I, I like Rocky. I think he definitely has a place, and he's going to be a guy that when he finally decides he's done, he is going to be he he does a lot with the U.S. stuff as far as promotion. He's going to have a place either on commentary or in the L.A. dojo if he wants it. And uh, I have no problem with him getting some run here if he's going to close it up. Because, you know, you look back at last year's best Super Juniors, I mean, Rocky had a hell of a tournament. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was that uh, fantastic win over Phantasmo, which I thought was going to be a time limit draw. And obviously the matches since then. You know, Rocky, I think a lot of people, especially when new fans, write him off as, you know, just a commentator who sometimes goes and does a wrestle. And I think stuff like this, you know, if they've made the call to take him out of the booth for the next little while and actually have him wrestle, you know, whether it's a final hurrah or actually get him back in full time, then more power to him. You know, you know that division needs more, you know, more varied names. I mean, you know, we can talk about later, but him potentially getting a title shot, you know, it's going to make for a nice little change for, you know, uh, Hiromu against Dragon Lee, against Robbie Eagles. You know, it's not going to headline or you know, potentially fill us, uh, an arena, but it's going to make for a nice little change of pace compared to all the hard-hitting matches we're getting in that vision for now. Yeah, I agree. So we'll see what happens with Rocky going forward. I don't think that's a bad match to make, though. I like Again, they were really fun in the uh, Junior Tag League, so I have no problem with it. Uh, next match, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Koto Ibushi, Juice Robinson, and David Finley defeating Tamatanga, Tangaloa, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens at around 11 minutes via pin. Uh, I thought they had a perfectly good little uh, gentleman's three match here. Um, Tanahashi picks up the cradle on uh, Loa to pick up the win. And the big angle post-match was teasing the Golden Aces versus Girls of Destiny and kind of also loosely possibly teasing a three-way, it appeared, with uh, Finn Juice, the former champions, also involved. I mean, great. It's two different teams in a three-way, but 
I mean, a month ago, we were dead thrilled, you know, uh, Finn Juice won the tag titles. You know, brand new you know, selection of matches we're going to have. Tanahashi and Ibushi, first challenges. Bit odd, but great, even more variety. And then, you know, you hit that big old reset button and you're back to Grills of Destiny as the indomitable champions again. I just don't understand why. I mean, I'd, in my mind, I thought it was being caused by, again, there's no reports from I'm just spitballing here. You know, had somebody left who they had plans for and were you going to have to shuffle Tanahashi or Bushi into their spot? I think Lance Archer was maybe the one a lot of people may have you know, slotted that particular thing. But if they're still going ahead of a tag title match, why you know, why did they switch the titles back? You know, it was just to give you know the Atlanta crowd last week a title change for sake of one? I mean... Yeah, these uh, tag titles have been largely treated as disposable for a while, but yeah, it, just to me, that would change makes sense. This match, yeah, it's a placeholder. It sets up you no, know, you no know, one, two, maybe even three matches if you do with two singles tags in a freeway. Um, Tanahashi, you no know, dropping down to tags. I'd rather see him and Ibushi against Finn Juice than against the God, but um, yeah, I think I've said before. It is what it is, you know, get all books in mysterious ways. And I guess we'll find out, you know, what his plans are, I guess, after the uh, New Japan Cup uh, tour. Yeah, and it's uh, it does feel really weird. Uh, it, Like you said, it feels like they just, uh, they wanted to give the U.S. a title change. And I hate that they went right back to Girls of Destiny because it makes the Wrestle Kingdom win, like, it feels very WWE, like, we're going to give you a moment, and then we're just going to take it away a couple weeks later for really no reason. And, and it, yeah, it just yeah, and it kind of, turned me off. And again, it, to me, it just felt very much like, you know, not to harp on about, but, you know, we watch World Tag League, we've got our little payoff, and then it's back to square one again. It's, I don't know, it just doesn't sit well with me. I know, I think they said on the road two shows, they are tied now with... Um, Kojima and Tenzan uh, for the highest number of tag title defences now. Um, or tag title reigns, and I shall quickly tag check title that. Tag six, yeah. Yeah, just check that with uh, our buddies at the cage match. Yeah, they're up at six now, and Tenkoji got their sixth reign uh, three years ago started, so you know, it wouldn't surprise me if that was a match they'd thrown on to, they'd thrown to the anniversary show you know, in three weeks' time, you know, see if they can get their record back but yeah it was you know, when you ever get a title change like that where you know hey it's a brand new dawn you've got some new direction and then it's back to the same old it's never going to sit well with me i agree man it's uh like i said just it's going back to going going back just to do it i, I like i don't hate god man like the grills of destiny and stuff because i've seen they had they did some good stuff last year but it's just Unfortunately, they just they feel really stale as the champions, and then like half their matches break down into the same bullshit with Auto, and it's like it just get, I I was excited for something new, and they took it away from me already. So, so I guess maybe touch on the news they announced uh, after the match, uh, Wrestle Dynasty in the Garden, August twenty second. It probably was the same day as uh, Takeover Boston, which. Yeah, well, no, I'm pretty sure that's entirely innocent, and you know, this is coming from somebody who usually accuses WWE of these kind of moves. Like, got two massive shows from the same part of the country on the same day. Yeah, that, that to me, no, no, not saying we're not going to fill it, but 
you know, when you've got a lot of your potential crowds, potential audience going up to take over, it's going to be a tough ask. It is because, like you know, Boston is not that far away from New York. You know, it's a in the New England area, and I, I hear all the time about people that commute back and forth and stuff, and yeah, and just like, and a lot of that's going to be flying crowd anyway for SummerSlam weekend. So yeah, it's going to make it uh, probably a little more difficult than they would like, I think, to sell. Uh, maybe not the best move, but um, they announced that. They announced the uh, G1 Climax starts in September in Osaka, and they announced some dates for that. And then they also announced that uh, World Pro Wrestling is returning to Japanese uh, TV uh, Fridays at 8 p.m. in primetime. Yeah, it's on the BSSI channel, so not, not a satellite channel from what I understand. But still, from, from what I've been told, that 8 p.m. Friday time slot, it's like gold dust. So, yeah, it may not be on the Primo channel, but the fact they're back in the old time slot they used to have. I mean, maybe may as well talk about this. Yes, I was at the, it was an area screening, I should say, of uh, My Dad's a Heel Wrestler, the Tanahashi movie from a few years back. Uh, was, we were doing some, like, Japanese film festival in London. And before it was a bit of a, not, a, not an essay, not a sermon, but like a... Um, like a brief introduction about what the movie was, about what wrestling is, how imp- culturally important it is to Japan. And you know, there's a few people in the crowd who recognize, you know, you know, big wrestling fans, and you know, try not to laugh because it's a whole, you know, you try and teach your grandma how to suck eggs kind of thing here. But the one thing that they, and this is from you know, native Japanese speaker, were telling us that wrestling in Japan is not as big as it was, you know, in the 80s and 90s, which, yeah, I can believe that. You know, I, I wasn't following much of the time. Well, I wasn't following at all for time, to be perfectly honest. But it's one of those things that, you know, as you know, the modern day, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, more ease of access to wrestling around the world. I mean, Christ, you know, this show was on live. You know, 10 years ago, you'd have been pushed off to get it on, you know, from a tape trade and maybe get it a month later if you're lucky. You know, so it's that kind of, you know, ease of access where for people like you and me and a lot of others... No, it feels well. It's really big because I can watch it live, but maybe in Japan, yeah, we've seen the bigger crowds. You know, it's you no, know, it's getting hotter, but maybe not quite the peak. Although, as I mentioned to somebody this morning on Twitter, the whole thing of what we consider the peak, you've also got to take into account the whole thing of numbers being massaged. You no, know, uh, Chris Charlton's book Eggshells. There's a lot of references about how crowds were artificially inflated, not in terms of people getting in for free. But they would get, I'm throwing numbers out here, maybe 30,000 people and claim 50,000. It's pro wrestling, go figure. But now we're having to be a lot more legitimate with numbers. So no, maybe we are a lot closer to boom period than we think, If no, at least in terms of live attendance, if not TV. But yeah, it would be interesting to see you know, how the uh, BSSI deal you know, affects crowds <laughs> going forward and general interest. Um, no, like I said, it's a golden time slot. And you know, with the G1 you know coming up a lot later in the year than usual, you know that probably that perfect uh, span of time to whip up interest and see if that translates into bigger venues being booked for G1 and bigger gates overall. Yeah, that is. Um, I think that's what everybody's kind of looking forward to seeing is how it does impact business because obviously, you know, I mean, Wrestle Kingdom. I think I think we agree did very well on the two night deal. I mean, with Dash, I mean, you did almost eighty thousand over three nights. Um, you know, again, they sold well in Sapporo. They sold out of Saka Joe here. You know, there's a, and like last year, they were coming off an all time year as far as uh, selling live gate and everything. 
despite the fact that everybody was trying to tell you that it was like a down year in New Japan, that it's no good anymore. But yet they were still selling pretty well. And, um, you know, you look at live attendance and how important it is to various businesses. And, like, you know, WWE's live event business happens to be down. And they're doing less live events right now because of that. Because even, like, the super, the quote-unquote super shows with Raw and SmackDown aren't even drawing very well. But again, it goes back to the you know, core issue of the product. If the TV product isn't worth your time, you're not going to see the live touring version of it. Oh, damn right. So, back to our show, though. We had tag team action. Okada and Will Ospreay defeating the dangerous techers of Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. just under 12 minutes. Thought a really, really good tag here. I enjoyed it. Went about three and a half on it. Uh, I thought the best thing is the four continued their established rivalries coming into it. Um, you, we have, uh, I know you're going to Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay on the 14th, correct? Yes, indeed. Uh, be shooting off straight after work. Uh, your call's only about 10 minutes on the tube from my office. So, yeah, nice needs to get you after work. I've obviously made my excuse my better half why I'm spending Valentine's Day for wrestling and not with her. But, yeah, it's, you know, we, we've come to an arrangement, shall we say. <laughs> So, um, I've loved a lot of the Will Zach stuff, just all the shit talking from Zach and everything. It's just, I think they've created a really good dynamic. And the thing I'm feeling, I don't know about you, the thing I'm feeling from this Okada Tai Chi feud is, you know, they, they tried to have Tai Chi come close and quote unquote be on Okada's level in that singles match. I think Tai Chi's beaten him in the New Japan Cup. Yeah. I mean, my take last week, they went just about half an hour in the main event on Saturday, I believe. One second. Sorry about fuck my fault. Yeah. So they went half an hour uh, last Saturday. And to me, it felt like they didn't need to go that long. Okay, yeah. you're, ele- you're, you're elevating Tai Chi a little bit. And I think since then, he's lost most of, if not all of the matches since. Um, and I think with this, you know, the fact that, you know, a card has beat Mike a drum, a card who's a champion, there's no obvious title match being set up. And obviously, I think it's way too soon for him to go back into title contention anyway. Um, yeah, it would not surprise me. Maybe not finals, but you know, quarter of the semis. Obviously, they haven't announced the formatting. I don't think it's going to be that wild was it 32-man practice we had last year. I could see it just being maybe 16-man field. Um, but yeah. I think out for two for me, this was a match of two halves. I am generally I'm not keen on matches where they you know stick together two feuds and one's already being paid off to an extent on the tour. So the Okada Tai Chi stuff I could take or leave. Sabre and Osprey, you know, obviously I've got the added investment of going to the rematch, but their stuff you now I was completely invested in. Um I think obviously we'll have to save a little bit later on, but I can see the t- our title changing in your call next week. You know, Sabre's had that for a long little while and, you know, it's kind of leads on to something I said. Um, no, that's something I'm going to be putting my preview of high stakes on back body drop this week. Sabre's had that Rev Pro belt for a long while now. You had the you know, brief time when Hiroshi Tanahashi was our leader and never defended in England, go figure. But Sabre's gone on record, you know, whether it's for a trolling interview or what have you, that he's not planning on coming to the UK often. He'll come if he's booked, but he's not someone who's going to be on every show. Now, Osprey's based in Japan as well. He's not going to be on every show either, but he's been making noises about coming back over a lot more, whether it's for Rev Pro, whether it's for OTT. 
So I can see Osprey winning that belt if only just to you know be like a um, an olive branch, olive branch to you know, Red Pro fans who feel a little disgruntled that the belt hasn't been defended much in this country. I think somebody worked out that last year on the Rev Pro shows that the Rev Pro belt was last defended in the UK in March, and that was effectively a New Japan show in all but name. Uh, you know, the show was called you know, In Gobernables, for crying out loud. It was all LIJ heavy. So, yeah, I think I could see Osprey winning the belt in on Friday from Sabre, and if you want to tie into Rev Pro booking, um, David Starr left the company last summer was that match which was completely divisive, you know, the way they did runs and what have you. And I could see them rolling back to that, you know, this summer, you know, do the rematch and, you know, maybe get the belt away from New Japan's uh, clutches after all. Um, the one thing I will say before I move on with this, I get why they did it, but it is not a good look for Pro that the main event of their first big show of the year, they couldn't announce until 10 days out because New Japan had their stuff to finish. You know, that bit, for me, just did, you know, did not sit well for me as a, you know, as a Rev Pro fan, first and foremost. Yeah, I, can, I, I understand why. And that, that kind of goes into like how they would announce stuff in the U.S. too. Because it's like, you need to sell tickets, and not everybody is just going to buy on the New Japan name. And like, like that Dallas show, the reason that G1 show didn't sell as well as it should have was because they waited so long to announce stuff. And I can see that as that's obviously a big problem with the Rev Pro thing right there because, yeah, it would have been nice to have that match ahead of time. I mean, how, how's it looking? Are they going to sell out that show? Or So I guess in Japanese terms, you'd call it no vacancy. Uh, Kevin Kelly said there was uh, south of 10 tickets left. Um, I've just had a look on the RevPro ticket website, and I can't confirm or deny that it's let me buy no more than six, but there's multiple blocks. So, worst case, you'd say there's maybe 30 tickets left, but bearing in mind the build they've done to this and the card they've got, I mean, for crying out loud, if you're not a fan of Sabre v Osprey, they've also announced um, LA Park against Eddie Kingston on that same show. So, if it's not, I would be extremely stunned if we get to Friday and there's still tickets left to buy. Let's put it like that. Yes, I saw the L.A. Park and Eddie Kingston thing, and all I could thought is somebody's going to die. Well, especially it's an ODQ rule, um, match as well, so that is going to go all over your call, and I'm very glad I'm on the balcony for that one. <laughs> out, out of harm's way. Stay in safety, and Don't make eye contact with L.A. Park. <laughs> well, I'm not front row. I used to go front row for Ref Pro, but um, yeah, no, those kind of shows I've seen what L.A. Park does. I have no intention of making eye contact, let alone grabbing his mask. Let's just put it like that. Very good. So back to our show, we had Jay White defeating Sonata, 21-55 via pin. Uh, Going to be completely honest, I, I, I think you felt kind of the same way, if I recall. I wasn't really feeling this match going into the show. Yeah, I mean, going in, obviously, during um, the early uh, New Beginning shows, we had uh, the White and Kenta tags with uh, Sonata and Naito out of those tags this match I was a lot more looking forward to because we had T-shirt Naito on those uh, tags and you know what you get with T-shirt Naito um, I had a lot of tech issues during this one my computer locked up uh, had to reboot a few times so I missed maybe two three minutes when I was trying to get the feed on my phone and on the, on the computer but yeah I, I was pleasantly surprised with this I thought they were going to lay an egg on this 
Uh, they didn't. Neither of these guys, I'll admit, I'm huge fans of. They surprised me. The only asterisk you want to put it there, Gettle's interference, why, you know, it's it's a match, there's nothing on the line, you know, it's not like this was a, you know, top contenders match or anything. It just felt like Ghetto interfered once, twice too often for me. It's like, you know, you just don't need to do it. I mean, <laughs> Sonata, okay, he, you know, got the, you know, the monkey off his back and doing the power dice lock on Jay White. But there's bits about Sonata's matches and, you know, you could maybe say the same thing, but definitely with Sonata. Um, that, that series where he does the skull end, and goes, right, I'm going to let go so I can do Moonsault, and then 99% of the time he misses. Learning mistakes? I mean, how many times has that been a thing and then he ends up losing the match? It's like for Kakeshi these days. Although I think uh, Hanma might have a better percentage on the Kakeshi than he does with the Moonsault, Jesus. Um, yeah, I, overall, I thought it was really good. I do like the story that Sonata's like the big loser out of LIJ. Like, everybody has gold with him. Yeah. Like, what a fucking loser. Look at this guy. I mean, um, it's up at the end, the sliced bread. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm not one for poking fun at guys for blowing spots, but how on earth do you spike your own head doing a sliced bread? That's, like, I've seen, yeah. I've seen the gif, it's like, I get, you know, you know, we laughed about Coulter, you know, he did the, you know, backflip kick early, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom, somehow you know, he punched himself on his head. I just don't get how, okay, Sonata doesn't do sliced bread often, but to do it in a match like this where it's not, you know, big world title shot, there's a new move thrown in for the hell of it, and to dump yourself on your head, it's like, maybe retire that one for a bit, you know, it's not something you need, and, you know, personally for his size... That might be something played against him as well. Definitely. Um, I, you know, it's like I look at this and I completely agree about the Gato stuff. And here's the thing it's like, I actually think Jay White overall is really talented. He has a great look. I like a lot of the stuff Jay White does. The problem with his matches, and it is evident in this one, is like you said, you didn't need all the Gato bullshit because this was technically not an important match. There was no title on the line. This was not for a title shot. And the problem is, when you do the Gato bullshit in every fucking match, it's diminishing returns. We, yep. t- we talked about this at Wrestle Kingdom and stuff like that. And it's, it's what honestly holds back a lot of Jay White matches for me. I like a lot of what he does. But it's just like, the overbooking is just so fucking repetitive. And for the most part, this was a strong and decisive victory for him. And... It would have meant much more if Gato didn't do anything. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, sometimes, and I know this is going to rock people's worlds, sometimes it's okay for a heel to win clean and just be better. Yeah. I mean, I think I've joked in the past, he's for Jeff Jarrett of New Japan these days. You know, he gets all the running spots, he gets pretty much all the ref bumps. It's like, it's not, you know, not to put anything against Jeff Jarrett. Jay White's a better wrestler in these days. Like when oh, yeah. you compare the run of the run Jeff Jarrett at the time, he needs that more smoke and mirrors. Jay White doesn't. And the only thing I can think is, you know, it nearly backfired here. I'm just kind of you know, there's been that talk of, you know, he needs to establish himself as a big heel, then you become an even bigger baby face. I've got a feeling maybe not this year, maybe early next year. You know, you keep chipping away, you know, the ghetto interference, nearly cost him, nearly cost him. Could Jay White end up back in title contention and then it's one step too far and bang, there's your explosion and 
where the bullet, I would say just Bullet Club disintegrates. I don't think they're ever killing that thing off. You know, it makes too much T-shirt money for one. But, you know, could it be that maybe Kent usurps them? You know, somebody new coming? I mean, you know, in a year's time, who knows what the landscape's going to look like. But I do think, with me giving them benefit of a doubt, the constant ghetto interference and how it's almost costing him, that's got to be leading somewhere. I hope so, because I think that makes for a really good story, and I think you're right. Um, the other thing with me with Sonata is, like, and you kind of lightly touched on but, like, this fucker needs to get rid of using Skull End. Because nobody fucking buys it. All the counters are feeling so lazy and contrived these days. It's 800 versions to get into it. He almost never wins with it unless it's a fucking geek in a trios match. And I'm just like, I'm over it. And, like, the weird part is it's like, I, I think, obviously, Sonata has a great look. I do think he's talented. He's almost a guy, though, I wish they could fucking send away for eight or nine months. Yeah. And retool him and bring him back with some new fucking offense. Because he just... I, I don't know, dude. I'm not feeling it with him these days. Like, the skull end stuff is like... Every time I'm recapping a match, like, oh, working to counter. Skull end again. So and so the, escapes. Skull end again. I think the issue of Snard was that skull end looks like shit most of the time. Th- that does like, not help, yeah. When you've... You know, there's been times when you've seen, it's like, there's so much daylight in that hold. I'm not saying everyone's got to be snug and everyone's got to be potatoed and strangled for reals, but the fact when you see that hold and, like, who was early in the show they did a dragon sleep and it was like, that looked a million times better than Skull End, but, you know, it's almost got to be like an accident. I think it was uh, the, um, the New Japan Dad's tag at the start. I think it was Kojima. Yeah, Kojima had somebody in a dragon sleeper. Yeah. You know, during the whole... You know, Nakanishi's got the Argentine backbreaker, kind of breaks out, oh, well, not, not that kind of uh, BS, but the fact that Kojima, is, that's not his regular move, and it looked a lot more convincing in a throwaway, everyone's in submission holds, who's going to, no, is, he's going to have to tap, it looked a lot more believable than any of Sonata's skull ends, like, I'm not bragging on him, he needs a different finisher. He desperately does, and that's why I said, it's like, I wish they could send them away somewhere for a while and, like, let them retool and get some new shit. Because, like, the worst part is, like you said, like, sometimes he'll lock it on. There's all this daylight. The worst thing is when he takes it to the ground. And he has his bicep, like, on the dude's hairline. So it's like the dude's whole head is fucking exposed. Yeah. I can see the man's face. How does this hurt? You're ripping his hair out, maybe? (laughs) Someone's going to get upset that they're losing hair plugs or something? What the fuck? Well, maybe Tanahashi, but... Hey, yeah, hey, I mean, hey, you do not say anything about <laughs> Tanahashi's hair. He had a luscious pompadour tonight. I think the, the issue with this is Sonata's already, quote-unquote, had his excursion. You know, he did, you know, he served his time with TNA. He's been all over the place. I think if you send him... No, I don't think they can send him away, is the, is the main issue. You know, there's no... no if you send him away, you know... As the stage he is now, if you send him to Ring of Honor, they will expect you know, Sonata, the evil bellhop Sonata. You send him to you know, uh, Rev Pro. He's already been there. He's main evented for small cockpit shows. But the people there will expect you know, the man with you know, the more expensive Eddie Dennis mask than you know, any new couch. It's like, to me, you're at the point where this, it is what it is in any iterations within the Sonata thing. I don't think you're going to get until he breaks free from LIJ, which may well be the thing because him and Evil, 
they said in commentary you've been what six months without a singles win yeah. if everybody okay evil's got the trios title and i guess maybe top off because we're not going to talk about uh elsewhere in here um after the show on thursday they're pushing towards uh Taguchi, uh yano and colt cabana for trios match uh for the belts um if those belts go could you see Evil and Sonata maybe leaving LIJ, you know, being kicked off because everybody else, bar Bushi, but who cares about Bushi, has gold? Yeah, I mean, and I've been speculating on that for a while, a possible break in LIJ, and I, I definitely think it's possible. And you need to do something with Sonata. And like you said, I know it's like it's almost impossible to send him away at this point, but it's like he's a guy that it's just like if you look at the roster and you could say, you know, give me one or two guys that need to go away and retool and come back. It's like, he's like at the top of my list. Shit. Send them to Shibata for six weeks. Just let Shibata kick the shit out of him. Maybe you'll teach him how to lock on a hold properly. Yeah. Let's just say, uh, back in the territory days, that wouldn't have flown. Yeah. Just the whole, I mean, I know. Remember when we moved to, uh, HD was the whole thing. If you need to make stuff look more snug. Well, I mean, we were in 4K, 8K in Japan nowadays. In fact, with you seeing Bat Mount Daylight first ones, you know, supposed dreaded finisher, that, does, that doesn't fly anymore. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like beating a dead horse with Sonata. You know, I've been obviously said that he's primed to break out this year. It wouldn't shock me. You know, you tend to get these long losing runs because, well, if he does break, break out, it, you know, it's an instant rematch, I guess, but... At some point, you know, when you've been beaten that long, people you know it's going to be a lot harder to care. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with him. And, uh, you know, we'll see if he uh, does anything in the New Japan Cup this year and all that. Because he's had good runs in the past. And maybe he'll get a run for a little bit before losing again. Or maybe they'll just, like, keep the losing streak going and job him out in the first round. Maybe Tai Chi can kick his ass. Or Tai Chi beat him away to a card. It wouldn't surprise me, but then do we really want Tai Chi in the semis? I'm not so much saying I want him in the semis, but it's just like, I, I you know, I, again, it's going to deter. I guess it'll have to be, we'll find out how many people are actually in it this year. So I don't know. But again, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't throw it out the window. We'll see what happens. But uh, we moved on to some really good shit next, though. Oh, yes. IWGP I mean... Junior Heavyweight Champion. Hiromu Takahashi facing off with Ryu Lee, retaining the championship 24 minutes via pin. And okay, first of all, just like this was a very different, very intense Hiromu versus Lee match. Yes. I, the first four to five minutes were these two lads chopping the ever living shit out of each other to the point that we had chest discoloration. They were just calling each other on, and it's just, oh my god, it was so great. And I absolutely loved that, like, you know, they went out, they traded Germans, they went into a double don, then they started beating the shit out of each other. So you didn't get that, like, super crazy start that everybody thought was coming. And I, mean, I think the start was sort of a German suplex, went some knees, and then the double down, then was like five, six, seven minutes of chops. And it's like, to me, that, and I was talking with you, but... Is this Hiromu trying to make himself numb for Doom the Phoenix Plex later on? But like the fact that everyone's expecting, you know, tons of flips, tons of flying, and like, yeah, you got that. You got, you know, the 
know, Sunset Bomb, you got that absolutely insane Tope suicide of it. I thought Roman may have broken his neck on again that landing off the table. But, you no, know, you can have, this shows you can have two guys who fly all over the place, but they aren't necessarily flies. It's the same argument we've made with Will Osprey. No, he's no people think he's just a flyer, but he can he's got other tools in his arsenal. Same here. Even if it means that they are you know, turning their chest into ground meat for seven, eight minutes. Yeah. Um so it it was rather wild. I thought they played excellently off their history. It really felt like they didn't miss a beat in terms of in ring chemistry. Um, so, I mean, that's just, and if you've seen the past matches, you know how good these guys are. I thought there was a lot of good intensity, a lot of great drama here. Love the teases of the, uh, Phoenix Plex slash Dragon Drop or whatever you want to call it, which is the move that injured Hiromu. Cause the first time he went for that, my God, the crowd lost their shit. They like thought they were going to see a man die. And... I think that's a tease they need to keep building to. I mean, I know there's some advocate, no. Hit it first move of the match and maybe you know do a thing like Kuroma did to Kashida a few years back, but I think that's something you need to keep in your back pocket as if Dragon Lee hits this, it's over. But again, when we, you saw 2008 when he broke his neck, he hit the move. Kuroma still won. And I think it's that uh, fast of a story you can still tell that maybe Kuroma is um, no, he's unkillable. Okay, he was on the shelf for 18 months, but he took you know Ryuli's best. And still came up, no, still came with the belt. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's a there. They definitely need to tease that. I saw a great speculation online that um, Dragon Lee wins the uh, best Super Juniors. They face off at Dominion, and that's when he hits it and he beats them. And then you build to the rematch, maybe at Wrestle Kingdom or whatever. So, I mean, definitely a lot of ways you could go to it. You could use that move to tell a big story. Uh, you can definitely keep teasing it throughout. There's just a lot of stuff you can do. I absolutely love this match, though. I thought it was excellent. And, um, I mean, I do think in a way they went to it a little too soon. I don't think he necessarily needed to do the match right now. But then again, if you're doing it so Hiromu wins and maybe Ryu Lee wins the best of Super Juniors, maybe that does work really well. But I enjoyed the shit out of this, though. I mean, fucking great. Yeah, and again, we're talking what well, best of Super Juniors starts in May. So we've got a good little while. No, obviously Roman's got something else on the horizon, but I don't think there's going to be any more title defenses until uh, Dominion in June. So who knows? I mean, we need obviously need to see who's in the field for best of Super Juniors. Um, I do think this is maybe a title defense to kind of you know finish the story they were telling in San Francisco, but not really finish it off. Um, the fact that you no know, Romu didn't need to do. No, but Time Bomb 2, I mean, Christ, that needs a better name than Time Bomb 2. But, no, he didn't have to go to that. Both steps was just, you know, the, the good old stuff, you know, Dynamite Plunge of a D, you know, a couple of Time Bombs. The fact that it was the old stuff that beat him, maybe that's a sign that maybe Rio Lee needs to find the next step. But we all already know who almost got that next step as well. So it'd be interesting to see a, if they meet in Best of Super Juniors. I could see that being a... Actually, have they announced where the best super juniors is this year? Like where the dates for it? Um, I'm just scrolling through New Japan's uh, site now. Uh, not only up to wrestling on Takus in May. So, you know, they usually do. I think they usually start best super juniors in a bigger building. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was a, a block match, you no, know, early on in the tour, 
or maybe even on final night, um, on a final block night, not be final final. And that be something where really gets his win, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, give him the block, for instance. Um, yeah, but it's, there's a lot more talent. I think they said they've met 19 times in singles matches. And to me, that's this is a few, but it doesn't feel like anywhere near like it's over or like it's, you know, even running low on juice. You know, obviously, there's real world stuff that's helped, but the fact that, you know, 19 matches and it feels like they could go a lot longer, that's the sign of a really good rivalry there. I agree exactly. It'll be definitely interesting to see how they book out best super juniors and obviously who will be involved this year. I think there's honestly a chance. Like I think you know there's good chance like someone like TJP being this year because he worked the tag tournament and he worked Super J Cup. Um, wouldn't be surprised. Like probably like get like Teton back, Dragon Lee. Um, I wonder if they're gonna try to get Amazing Red because that would be really cool and fresh. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a year ago, he was you know, flat out retired, and then Will Ospreay dragged him out of it. Uh, the only concern that I would have is, would he be able to hold up to a full tour? Like, obviously, he's done the um, the USA tours, the uh, best super tunes, that's usually 18 nights, okay, half tags, half singles. I, I'm not saying he can't, I'm just wondering if he feels he would be up to it. The other thing I would maybe say in terms of, you know, different uh, editions for tournament. Um, there's been some speculation that uh, David Starr may be in the tournament. Um, obviously, he goes back with Rev Pro. He holds the Southside title, which technically is a heavyweight, but I think he's also underneath that weight limit. Um, again, kayfabe, you can, can do anything. Um, and there was talk when he left Progress and reappeared in, in Rev Pro, that maybe that was, you know, not hammering the WWE door closed and you not know, going you know, where Ref Pro would take you. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's in there, but then obviously that takes him out of any kind of bookings outside of Japan for a month. Plus, he would have been the El Fantasma role from a year ago of being a, you know, a foreigner coming in um, and for a, for a guess and come, come out wrong. Um, I guess David Starr has worked Japan in the past but let me just double double check for one second uh, but another name that has flown up which yeah so he's okay he hasn't worked Japan in the past but he's worked uh, two shows in Israel which doesn't surprise me but for whatever reason Cage Master List that's Israel uh, but yeah the other name that has come up which ties into the Ref Pro show this weekend uh El Fantasmo, current Ref Pro Cruiserweight Champions defending against Michael Oku. Um, might be a bit bit early for him, like Oku a year ago was a you know, glorified contender Ref Pro called. He's now not full-time. He won the British J Cup back end of last year. I wouldn't be too shocked if uh, Michael Oku found his way on that tour. Yeah, I was thinking of that too, because I remember I reviewed the uh, J Cup and I was wondering if he would kind of get the the Phantasmo treatment and brought in. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to do overall because, I mean, obviously, you know, Liger wasn't in last year. He's not going to be in this year. Um, and just, I think they have a lot more to play with this year, which is really interesting to me. And it'll be interesting to see also who gets frozen out. Like, does uh, does does Dookie get a shot again this year or is he left on the outside? Because, I mean, he was a replacement last year, obviously. But they seem to like him enough to keep bringing him back. 
I think with uh, Doki, he obviously played placement for Desperado. Uh, if you're looking at was a twenty man field they had last year, two lots of ten. I, I can't see him being in it. He's lost. He's been eating every single fall he's, in matches he's been in on the Fantastic Mania tour. Uh, I can't see him being in, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we've already talked away into saying that Triuli is going to win Best of Super Tuners anyway. So if you have a 19 men in the field, it's going to be a crapshoot. Um, actually, looking at uh, IMDb, the Fountain of Knowledge, apparently Michael Oku's uh, 27 this year, so it'll be 27 by the time Best of Super Junior rolls around. That shocks me because he's really just come up onto the scene. Um, you know, obviously I thought he'd be a lot younger than that. You know, IMDb may be wrong, and you know, if it is, you know, my big apologies, Michael Oku. You know, uh, have word of IMDb on that front. But um, yeah, I've, it, in terms of experience on the UK scene, he's had a few years, but for the last 12, 18 months, he's really had you no know, big time experience. Whether that would translate into being New Japan ready, well. No, if you want to bring politics into it, he's also fairly regular with progress and there's obviously some degree ties there. That may be one way he needs to make a call one way or the other, you know, which door he wants to open, if any. Yeah, we'll find out. I, again, I'm interested in what the potential field looks like. I'm really interested to see how they're going to work the New Japan Cup this year as well. Because it it's, feels like you have a lot of a lot of names you could pull from from both and just seeing how they're going to freshen things up. Cause obviously it feels like, you know, new Japan cup was feels like Lance Archer is going to be out of the mix here feeling with him being looking to be gone and everything. And just, I'm really interested to see what they do here. So they, there's so much damn talent on the roster and who they have available to them. So, but we will find out, I guess we're going to find out after the Nakanishi show at the end of the month, what the field is. They said, so, we go back to the card. We had the United States uh, champion John Moxley defending against Minoru Suzuki. They killed each other for 18 minutes. Yeah. And John Moxley retained the championship. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I was a little surprised with that because with him having the big title match with Jericho coming up I th- and not being able to obviously work the quote-unquote New Japan USA shows... Thought this would be the time for him to drop the title, but that was not in the plans, uh, Ian. What did you think of the match? So it was a match I thought both guys clearly were loving it. I mean, from the start, you know, they were doing a chair duel and it wrapped up like that at the end. Um, I was having more tech issues during this, so I missed you no know, bits of it, but was able to keep up. Um, yeah, this was one I had tagged in as just being like a good old, almost like a Bruiser Brody-like brawl, and they delivered um, I think throughout the whole, okay, obviously, uh, obviously um, Moxie wasn't on the road two shows, but they teased for table stuff last week, paged off here after Gino Gambino shot himself, and you know, when isn't that fun? Um, but yeah, I think, for me, the result was a lot more surprising. I mean, I don't know if that telegraphs Moxley's not winning the AW title, or if they do get the belt off him, is it going to be in a freeway? Because to me, that United States title was created with the U.S. expansion in mind. And you can't have a U.S. title on a guy who can't wrestle for you in the U.S. Um, I know it's all those you know, question marks and rumor and what have you that uh, you know, he may have an out in his AEW contract from April. If that's the case, you know, we'll see. It's only two months' time. But, yeah, I mean, result aside, I thought it was absolutely fantastic as a brawl. I went four and a half on it. 
um, had a bit of a fear about maybe going higher, but it's the kind of thing for me. I thought, I mean, this went how long ago? Went eighteen oh five. That that flew by. I honestly felt it was a lot longer. Um, to me, I think the result kind of tells you they are done with hot potato in this belt for the time being. You, know, you have had a little run, obviously, with you know because of the storm last year where Moxie dropped the belt. Um, where was it Kenny Omega obviously won originally then Jay White I mean I'm looking at the cage match now and you have had a little spell where Cody had it then Juice had it then obviously Moxie then got you know stripped and what have you I think this is them putting some stock into the belt like you've got to remember we're still at the early days of that US expansion I think if you've got John Moxley you know, having a belt now he's had it okay he's only had it a month now but he had it for four months beforehand if he gets a bit of steam behind this run, the guy who beats him, if that's the guy who is able to defend around the States, I think that's no, it's not this reign you're looking at for the next one, but again, that big question mark over AEW makes it a lot more intriguing of, does he hold on and then all of a sudden in April or May, John Mox is you know, suddenly doing the, you know, the new Largo loop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's like, yeah, I thought this was excellent as well. It was just a wild brawl. And, like, it's like the best part is that it's different than anything else on the show because it feels so raw. And there's like an unmatched intensity between these two. Um, just like Suzuki firing up, constantly laughing at Moxley like his attacks don't mean shit. You have Moxley firing up, you, you know, come on, motherfucker, and all that. Just all throughout. And I thought that. It really felt like everything they did mattered to me in this match. It really did fly by. I thought they paid off multiple shows worth of build, like with that table spot and the early brawling they did to get to this match. And um, you know, they, they delivered on it in the big match, which is kind of the whole purpose and how you build to a great match. And to go back to the monster thing, it's like, it's so weird. He, he, he exists in this weird limbo between AEW and New Japan, even more so than Jericho these days. And he just feels like he's awesome at everything he does. And I thought Suzuki was amazing here. And I, it was great seeing Suzuki with all that fire because like when he's on, he's still fucking great. I don't care if he's like 51 years old, he's a murder dad and he's awesome. I was fully ready to embrace him as the King of the United States. Um, unfortunately that didn't happen. Um, I love this though. I was again, a little shocked that, um, Moxley retained, but I mean, we'll see what happens here. And then post match, though, shit got really interesting because something happened I did not expect. Zack Sabre Jr.'s ASJ ran out, laid out Moxley with the Rev Pro title, and choked him out and stood tall. And that was not a match I thought we were going to see. I don't know if they've telegraphed the your call match on Friday with that. I know there's a lot of guys in New Japan who have got you no. Know, where it's you not know, Naito set this new trend off. There's a lot of guys who've got designs on double gold. I mean, obviously Naito's got the two belts. Chiguchi uh, has got the never belt. He's trying to get well. Once for never belt, he's also in for the junior tag belts. Now Saber with the Ref Pro belt, mixing in the uh, US belt. I don't know if that's going to be the match. Um, like I say, Saber obviously can work in the states. To me, I there's something about like Saber. This is going to be a match if they do go ahead of it. It's going to be Styles Clash, and I don't know if it's going to be one that is going to go well. Like I'm not saying they're going to lay, you no know, do a go to and lay a goose egg, but I think it's going to be one where 
you're going to be going in expecting Sabre to twist Moxie's arm off and maybe you know, is he going to go in and you know, have to do, you know, not deathmatch stuff, but have to go through a lot more brawling than we're used to seeing him with. Um, as much, uh, it's certainly one I would never expect to see, but the more I think about it, I want it. I think that's the key when you've got a roster this deep, which, you know, yeah, you can. it's nice to go from story A with hints of story B, then story C, but if you can get someone who's completely out of left field for a match like this, I mean, you know, until that US belt's regularly on the on the almost US shows, why not make the United States belt a dream match belt? Yeah, and there's I don't think there's anything wrong with that right now because you need to. I mean, if they have access to Moxley, and you know, obviously because of the contract, AEW is cool with them doing it because of the way the contracts are structured. I mean, I I think you use them when you can, and obviously, I mean, you look at this match. This was a huge positive addition to this show. And I mean, you can argue depending on what style you like more, but I mean, this was this was either your match of the show or your second best match of the show, depending on how much you loved uh, Hiromu and Riley Lee. So I mean, I mean, just Moxley and Suzuki was great, and then you're getting this match that, like, again, I don't, I, I don't even think I've ever considered it. And then Zach came out, and he's he's beautiful at talking shit, and. There was already a backstage promo. I'm going to see if I can play it. I don't know if you... I think you'll be able to hear it, but Zach and Moxley with some brief comments after their match here. Let's see if I can pop this up. Been a professional wrestling match, Jonathan. Have you got the techers to beat me? Because I don't think you have, darling. Huh? Jonathan Moxley. You want to come after my team? Huh? You beat two of my teammates so far. It's not going to be lucky third. Interesting situation popped up in the form of the human fucking udon noodle, Zack Sabre Jr. I'm already in. Yeah, I don't know what came across my mind, but I mean, Zack Sabre, you know, I think a lot of people from back in the day didn't put any stock in his promo stuff. You know, they just see him as, you know, the match wrestler. And if you don't, listen, if you just you know watch free shows with no sound or don't pay attention, you miss a lot of those glorious lines, like you know the the Osprey stuff early in the night, where he's you know calm, you know, obviously about being an idiot and what have you. That show, you know, obviously match on Friday, there's going to be a lot more of that. Um, and if he loses, those meltdowns are going to be glorious. And to me, I think that's almost the direction you need to go: have him lose the, the UK belt, and then build up to him taking out. Not Moxley, who, I guess in his eyes, may be kind of the same level as Osprey. But, uh, yeah, when that comes, it may be as soon as the... Well, no, it won't be the anniversary show, because that's uh, Day 4 Dynamite. But, you know, when that comes, uh, even if it's part of the New Japan Cup, you know, that's going to be one I think a lot of people will be circling and uh, carving time out for. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of excited for it. And if you didn't hear it, it's a... First of all, Zach was just being Zach with his banter and calling him Jonathan... And uh, Moxley called uh, Zach the uh, fucking human udon noodle. Well, he's put weight on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, no, just uh, good stuff. I'm looking forward to that. So main event of the evening, Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion Naito defending against Kenta. We had all the Bullet Club assholes come out to begin. They were going to try to hang out at ringside. They made the mistake, though, of shoving old red shoes down, so he tossed them to the back. 
to allegedly give us a clean match. Yeah, we knew how this was going. I mean, I really dug Kent to do the old Shawn Michaels intro, you know, get down the knees. The only thing that was missing was for Pyro, but hey, New Japan budgets, they don't stretch about these days. Wait until they get the blood money. Um, but yeah, I think this was exactly what I was expecting. You know, Kent has got his, you know, his template works in New Japan right now. A lot, I mean, for the first five minutes, they had touched maybe twice because of Kenta going out, stalling for time. Uh, Jim Gambino, when Naito did the same thing, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. And you know, his rage and, oh, no, Reggie, you know, do something about it. Well, you know, it's that whole, and I think this is going a bit off topic, but. New Japan have gone through a lot of English language commentators, and I do think Gino Gambino is one of those who is vastly underrated. Like he's a he's a heel when it comes to Bullet Club matches, but he's not obnoxious for the rest of the time. Like it's like the old school where he's you no, know, he's a heel for his guys, and then he's almost reasonable with everybody else. I think when you've you no know, when we've gone through the likes of you know uh, Don Callis, who did turn a lot of people off of his. Um, how to say like letter stuff at times. No, and then no, Lanny Poffo, the less said about him, the better. You know, in fact we've got someone who seems to be in as a regular on commentary. You know, I think it's refreshing and he's not just a guy who's just adding colour and throwaway comments for the sake of it. I I agree. I like Gino a lot. He I was fucking dead on the Thursday show though, after Robbie Eagles came up short to win the trios titles. Because that match is like, if you guys don't follow, obviously Gino's Australian as well. And he dogs on Robbie all the time because Robbie used to be a good lad and then he left the Bullet Club. So he's dead to him. So Gino buries him all the time. And it's great. And like, like Ian said, he's only a heel in certain aspects. Bullet Club matches, obviously, and whenever Robbie Eagles is out. But it plays into it because that's an extension of the Bullet Club stuff. But Robbie Eagles puts in this spectacular effort in the trios matches. He ends up losing. And Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton are putting Robbie over. And they're like, Gino, even you got to be impressed. He's like, Kevin, I have something to say. He's like, Robbie put in a great effort. He's like, credit to his profession. And then he just snaps. But he's still a loser. He starts going off on him. I thought I'd die because it was. He sounded so sincere for about ten seconds. <laughs> and again, he's one reason. You know, he obviously pokes fun himself. Is the obvious. You know, I'm not going to go in, into it. But Chris Charlton on this show as well. Um, I've got for You're not going to get any. He's like, yeah, that's a line. But Gino Gambino, he's every Valentine's Day. That had me in stitches. I love the running joke about uh, Gino doesn't have a Bullet Club um, tracksuit yet, but everybody else does. Or doesn't get paid. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, what the, they asked him, um, didn't you do your video research? And he's like, I can't afford New Japan World. <laughs> Escape running the company now. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> so yeah, this um, this started off. This simmered for a long time. And they were building slowly, slowly, slowly towards the ending. And it started picking up. You had a lot of Kenta control, DDT on the floor, pretty much playing all the hits he had worked on the tour. And it it worked, again, because the crowd was into it. The crowd hated this man. They wanted to see Naito win. And it breaks down towards the end. You get the ref bump. Jay White tries to come out and help. He beats the shit out of Naito. He beats the shit out of Bushi. Hiromu eventually runs him off. 
You work into a closing stretch. Uh, Naito got uh, sent to the exposed buckles, busted open. Fortunate juice, we like to call it in the business. Red equals green, my friend. So it was a. Uh, it looked great. Uh, Kenta kind of ran wild at the end, and then uh, Naito countered the GTS into a poison Rana, hit Valencia for two. Dustino and finally won 34-45 via pin. I definitely think you could make the argument it went a bit long because of that like first five minutes. Wouldn't disagree with anybody that said that. But I do think that they did a really good job of building to the end. I thought the closing stretch was quite excellent at times, especially after Naito got busted open. I thought they had some really good drama down the closing stretch. Overall... I really like the main event. I'm not on um, par with uh, Suzuki and Moxley or uh, Lee versus Hiromu. But I thought it was a really strong main event. And it played off of what they built to. And you got Naito's first uh, successful defense. And his first win in a main event in the Sakajou Hall. Which uh, has haunted him in the past. Yeah, I went for flat on this. I mean, the first five, ten minutes where it was just stalling. No, this didn't feel like 35 minutes to me. And when you've added in the first 10 minutes, it was literally just, you know, walk around walk around ringside, stall a little bit. You know, that surprised me, I think. With this, I had a lot of fears, like I touched on earlier, because we had T-shirt night over the whole tour. Um, Naito brought a lot towards the end. Obviously, the blood helped, you know, that finishing stretch helped. Uh, but I think a lot's got to be said for Kenta actually, you know, going from, you know, nondescript guy on 205 Live to a guy who... They, you know, like I say, they sold out Joe Hall here, you know, 10, uh, 11,000 plus fans. And in fact, you've got a guy who you know, really couldn't even buy promo time you know, when he was in WWE, you know, never, you know, plus all the injuries. And now, I wouldn't say you could build your company around him for the obvious reasons, but the fact that in the space of, what, six, seven, eight months since he, would, since he came back, he has gone, he's become a guy who is pretty much one of the centerpieces of the company to the point where, you know, spitballing, I'm thinking, is he the guy, if you know, they want to usurp Jay White, is he the guy they do it with? Because, you know, you could make the argument, you know, Jay White came in, you know, tried to help, end up, you know, okay, smart with Duck for Mist, but end up losing to Junior for, for, for crying out loud. I think that little nugget's got to be something you've got to consider. You know, at what point does Jay White try and help everybody else, you know, whether it's through fair means of foul or whatever the intentions are. At some point, that's got to you know, blow up in his face. But yeah, I think this match, I was one of those where I expected to be you know, slow-paced. You know, they, you know, they weren't good. It's a main event. New Japan main events don't go you know, south for 30 minutes unless there's an injury. But yeah, you know, I mean, it kept my attention. You know, that finishing stretch, like I say, really helped. Um, the one thing I did notice as much saying how Kent you know, became this monster heel, a little bit towards the end before the Jay White stuff, the crowd was starting to die off a little bit. And one thing I would say is if this wasn't for belts, I would have been a lot more invested in Kent to pay, maybe getting the upset. Oh, I think so, yeah. Because I, I didn't think there was any chance of him really winning here. It just wouldn't have made sense. And again, like, you know, Kent, you know, Kent um, Night was only just one we double, double gold. I think this is a problem like a lot of promotions. New Japan do you know have this issue. Anyone who books the belts carefully, when you do title matches, you kind of know when that belt is not changing hands. You no, know, ninety-nine percent of the time, you know, um, 
they're not going to no, they usually build up a challenger for a long while before you do it before you change hands of their belt like um no ref pro belt no they were doing osprey saber now if they did i don't know uh zach saber jr against um i'm just thinking random ref pro guy mad kurt kurt chapman if they booked that match they had if they had a show you no know, a week before and they booked that match Nobody would give Kurt a you know, cat in hell's chance of winning because, yeah, if he won, people would pop, but he's not being built up. There's no challenge. There's no one he could you know, bounce off with afterwards. Uh, doing that's something that, because, you know, because people have gotten a lot, very focused on long-term build and promotions have gotten focused on, well, he's our champion. He's the guy we're going to build up to be the next big threat. It means that a lot, a lot of fans can maybe look behind, you know, peel away that first layer so to speak, and realize that, well, this title defense kind of means nothing because that guy, we, like, they did, um, I think we did a card of Tai Chi last year, if I remember. Tai Chi didn't have a chance to win because nobody bought Tai Chi as world champ. I think that's the issue. I'm not saying Kent's a mid-carder, but he's also not being built up enough to be, you know, from what one run in spoiling you know, Nigel's big moment. I also don't think he's built up enough to be the guy to take the belt at this time. If you know, if they'd been dragging us out to say Dominion, may have had a bit more chance. But yeah, it's a very say very solid first defense for Naito and you know built up to obviously got the mini uh four stops in Cork and Hall. That's gonna be your building we're gonna be fed up of by the end of the month. But the next big show obviously the fortieth anniversary show uh, March third and big main event announced for that particular show. That's right, so post-match, we got the Naito promo, and he called out Hiromu, and Hiromu arrived, and traditionally, the main event of the anniversary show is the IWGP champion facing off with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, so we are getting the the battle of LIJ on that show, as they accepted the match and had a little conversation, and uh, I, I'm pretty excited for that one, because I, lo- I fucking love Hiromu. And the thing is, too, is, like, if you follow any of the path of all this stuff, Naito is so big on Hiromu. And it's just, I, you know, obviously Naito picks his spots. We joke about T-shirt Naito. And I'm fine with that because he doesn't need to be working hard and corking all the time. You know, he doesn't need to be trying to have a five-star match and an eight-man tag that goes eight minutes. So, I mean, I'm okay with that. But I think this is a match he is going to bust his ass for. And I think it would probably be pretty great. I do think with um, obviously we've got the uh, Hiromu Naito match that's been announced. There's also the few nugs was dropped uh, was either on the road show so after he won the belt last week. Shingo made that point of you know he wants his belt to see his belt's the only true belt. And bear in mind that the boss of his uh, unit has the two bigger belts. You no, know, no. Is that going to be something we, you know, maybe build up for the New Japan Cup as a match? Is that something they do Dominion or one of the smaller destruction in Bipu, whatever you want to call it? But you no, know, New Japan's one of those groups they don't have their guys say stuff for no reason. I mean, when we're talking about, oh, I want to win both belts, and the double gold thing was not even announced until what the uh, Tag League Finals, I, I believe. So, in fact, you know, you've got you no. Know, Shingo saying he wants his belt to be bigger than the world belt. Well, A, that's not going to happen. But that is setting up something down the line, whether it's now, whether it's you know, when he becomes a big standalone star you know, outside of LIJ. 
there is something with him in uh, night or in the future, whether it's now, whether it's six months, 12 months down the line. But yeah, Osp- um, night or uh, Takahashi in three weeks' time, I think depending on which night we'll get, that's either going to be really great or it's going to be sort of good. You know, I don't think on the anniversary shows you rarely get you know stinkers of main events, and I think the key is what comes out of this because obviously we've got the New Japan Cup starting the very next day, which when I saw that I thought that's you know I guess you know yours have to do the anniversary show on that date, but the New Japan Cup buffed and that close to the anniversary show. Um, I'll be surprised if there's anything else on my anniversary show that tips anything else off because obviously I say the cup you know does tend to set up a lot of storylines through. You know, it's people being eliminated or you know, stuff that's teased through, you know, matters that you know, could have happened but not actually play out. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> you mentioned like New Japan rarely they ha- they don't have people say things or they don't do certain things normally without paying it off. They're normally excellent at that, and um, yeah, I, I think there's just we we're in store. I think for a lot of potentially really cool things this year, and a lot of it I find really cool because. There's teases at things, and we have guesses at things, but there's not a lot of total locked-in direction at the same time, which I think also makes it really exciting to see where they go and how they do it. So, uh, But overall, I think the New Japan um, New Beginnings Tour, uh, rather successful. I enjoyed. I thought we had a ton of great matches overall. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the big sell out here to close things off, obviously a big deal for them. Uh, again, announcing Madison Square Garden show, announcing the TV deal on primetime. A lot of good things coming out of the tour overall, Ian. I'm, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, and I think the only down point, again, this is being selfish, no UK date and think speculation that that's been done because there's no backer, not say backer wouldn't to pay for it, but they don't believe it's the financial interest, which I, mean, I was at the Copper Box last year, my place sold out pretty quickly. Um, I hope that's something they can add on maybe before the G1, but we now sort of had just on this tour alone. The Hokkaido tour, the uh, first few dates of the G1, obviously the MSG show. The longer, you know, the nearer we get to March, I reckon, is the less chance we're going to have any kind of old states announced this year, which, you know, bear in mind how much success uh, Royal Quest was, I think it's a bit of a letdown. But uh, yeah, I think New Beginning on the whole, fantastic tour. You know, New Japan's you know, back on the road, hitting the groove nicely after Wrestle Kingdom. And like I say, next few shows, all of Corican and two times the most next four shows. That's right. And you know what? I mean, shit, I don't even live in the UK, and I want a UK show because I love the atmosphere of that last year. I thought it was absolutely great, despite the fact that Fight TV sucked. Yeah, I mean, I know, I don't know if they're still doing this. I know today's show's on Fight TV, and. I looked very charging was at twenty pounds for it and it's like guys, you can buy a whole month of New Japan World for eight pounds, I think, for current exchange rate. It's like you either don't know and I get this a lot of uncertainty or you know, degree of fear, I guess you call it with you no know, fear if uh, monthly on demand services as opposed to I pay per view. But it's like if you're you know, you're paying more than twice for one show when you could pay, no, let's say eight pounds, get the show live, plus everything else that's in the catalog. I mean, I don't sound like Michael Cole when the Green Network launched mocking people for paying fifty dollars for pay per views, but it's that same kind of territory. I mean, 
know, I know it's been a bugbear. A lot of people have had with the New Japan World site, but it maybe isn't the best being user friendly. But you know, if you're the kind of person who's paying twenty quid for you know new, the new beginning of Osaka on fight, you know, maybe it's something you may want to look into because you not know, why paying this ex- why paying the equivalent of an Apple tax, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't know, man, but it's just. <sighs> We'll see what happens. Lots of interesting things. I do hope that, like I said, I I, I liked that UK show last year. I had a great time watching it. It's like I said, Fight TV sucked though. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I do want to thank you again, Ian, for joining me. It's uh, good having you back on. Since you couldn't join me last weekend, since you had to go to, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Ian had to go to live wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a portion pretty close to us called Good Wrestling, which is... A really bad name in terms of searching for it on Google, but that's by by but goodwrestling.com wasn't taken, so go figure. Yeah, they had a no ring show which was in the back room of a bar. Uh, they taped down some yoga mats, I guess you'd say, and had like a really fun show that's up on BOD now. Um, we've got photos up on the if you go on the website, uh, backbodydropper.com. Uh, we've got a link to the photo galleries. I need to update the links on the right-hand side to the specific galleries. Um, but yeah, it's a fun show. Then, then obviously, we have to the cockpit um, same day. Uh, that should be dropping on VOD some point this week. Hope to be able to watch it for high stakes and get a review up. But yeah, it's one of those where, especially around TV, live wrestling, just, you know, it's either feast or famine. Um, you know, obviously, you've got RevPro, your call this Friday, um, there's another show on Sunday we're going to for Pro Wrestling Clash, which sadly it's their farewell show. They've been around about two years. Uh, they're calling it a day. Um, so we're going to their farewell. We've seen them a few times. But yeah, it's, the problem is you no know, London, even though Britra is supposedly dying, a lot of live wrestling in London if you're looking for the right spots. So was good wrestling seriously good? Like, what's oh, your absolutely- question? <laughs> Absolutely. What I would say is, I know people dunk on like the Gatto moves, you know, you know, it's the uh, chocolate square, chocolate factory, chocolate square. I think they call it the weird uh, living room building they run in. It's the same kind of thing where they, you know, the space they had, no joke, was maybe seven foot squared. Like you, if you, you know, if you were a tall guy lying down, you would have been in the crowd. Um, I mean, the matches they had. You're not going to be getting five-star, you know, match wrestling classics, but just for sheer fun. I mean, there's one match they had was a... Uh, did you see the Orange Cassidy show at WrestleMania last week, last year? Uh, yes, I saw parts of it. So they had uh, Chris Brooks and Logan Easton LaRue in the Best of 13 Falls, of Best of 13 Counts, I think it was. Yeah. Um, they did a cumulative 66-count match, which was fun but problem was a referee didn't know about it was actually in the ring with big air quotes around it but they needed fans in the crowd to keep count because obviously 66 falls you're looking at what over 120 counts and the match ended 66 65 so yeah it would have been you no know, taking a monster ref to remember all those counts going forward but yeah i mean that show's actually up on uh, good wrestling's vod if anyone wants to see it um, we were on Pivot Chair, so it's either you know, buy rent for sure, the whole back catalogue, uh, goodwrestling.com, the link's there. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun show, something massively different. 
Uh, they talked about coming back uh, late for summer with a second one. There's a few promotions in and around London talking about uh, no-ring shows as well. So who knows, maybe it starts a brand-new trend where you can do wrestling without needing a ring. Takes out a big expense, hey? There you go, yeah, definitely. So, well, cool. That's, I, I always like to hear about different stuff. Um, but, yeah, thank you again, my friend. That is going to wrap up Episode 89 of the show. You can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. And uh, if you have time, you know, just uh, give us a thumbs up on the YouTube as well. I want to thank Ian for joining me. Go to backbodydrop.com to catch all of his reviews. And I will talk to you Wednesday night with Steve.